Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome in. Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. It is Friday. It is Outkick the coverage. It is not Clay Travis. He'll be back on Monday. He's in New York enjoying the weekend. I think he had a meet and greet with some of you fine folks yesterday. He's going to enjoy this weekend. Uh, with his wife sure that's going to be a fun time for him and i'm sure he'll have a bunch of stories for us on monday so i'm joined as usual and i'm going to do this a little bit differently in the 2018 nfl draft the carolina panthers select 24th the vikings will select 30th the chiefs (laughs) traded the 22nd pick to the buffalo bills so they will not pick until 54 and the giants at least for now are picking in the number two slot what those four teams have in common, this, uh, other than the fact that none of them won the Super Bowl this past year, is that they all used to employ my co-host Jeff Schwartz, who's down in Charlotte. He's on Twitter at G-E-O-F-F Schwartz. Jeff, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. And Jason, you sound like a brand new man because you had a steak the other week. I'm so proud of you, buddy. Like I haven't been able to, to congratulate you yet. You had it, you had it medium, which is good. I know we had the discussion about medium rare. You, you'll get there, but the I sound I hear the confidence in your voice now that you had some red meat in your life. I'm very proud of you. I think I was most excited about the fact that I liked it as much as I did right out of the gate because there was a question as to whether or not that was going to work out or if it was going to take some time to try and get used to it. And then obviously I enjoyed my company, so maybe that helped. But, you know, eventually it's still going to be the taste of the, the taste of the steak. And so I was a little concerned, but I also went in with a real positive attitude. I was like, I'm going to like this. And I took the first bite and I'm like, okay, I've been wrong for 30, however long it's been. <laughs> yes. and, and there you go. So it worked out well, and it's off the plate, and it's done, and the next time, it will be medium rare, and I, it should Good. be pretty soon. I'm just going to go what ahead and jump right on have? in. What kind uh, of steak I had you have? a center-cut sirloin, 
um, because of the calories and because yes. she suggested that, and I was not going to say anything against her advice in that situation. Yeah, I know you. I know you. You've lost a lot of weight. That's obviously very commendable, and and I know you're happy about that. But you you need to get a ribeye one time. Just just eat, eat less during the day, or eat more, or eat less after the steak, or eat less the next day. But get yourself a good ribeye next time, medium rare. Uh, preferably with the bone, and you'll be you'll be set for life, man. I'm telling you, you you will you'll never go back to eating. Uh, what do you consider beef beforehand? Hamburgers? You might still eat hamburgers, yeah, but you'll never so, go yeah. back to eating a, a bone and ribeye. It's the greatest thing you can eat. I will. Well, there you go. I think you got uh, backing from Danny G and Justin <laughs> out in L.A. Uh, yeah, I, I knew that you were excited because uh, she suggested that we tweet out the photo. And at first, I was just going to tweet out a photo of the plate. She's like, oh, no, hand me your phone. And I had to be in it because there would have been potential fake news coming back from, oh, yeah, you just grabbed a photo of a steak off of Google. And that's not you. So we went ahead and put me in the photo. So she... She takes the photo, and within, I would say, 45 seconds of that photo being posted, you had already congratulated me in like with like five exclamation points. So you were ex- you may have yes. been as excited as we were. We had talked about it for, for many moons for you to finally yes. do this. I did like how it was, it was definitely framed as a staged Instagram photo. I love that as well, because I don't see you as being a guy who, who takes like staged photos of first yeah. bites of food. But you had to do that to celebrate your first time. I'm a little, I mean, I guess Outback's okay. My my wife like surprisingly loves Outback. I'm 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 very I did not know that. Outback's not bad, but you one day, one day you'll go to a big dog steakhouse and um you will you'll fall in love with it. Yeah, my the uh the gal selected that. She's just like, look, we don't need to go to you know, Ruth's Chris no, or I, Morton's or I anything like that. that. It's like you're not gonna be able to appreciate that. Let's get a medium level, like not a terrible steak, but just kind of one that's that's sort of a little bit above average that's seasoned fairly well that usually is fairly consistent but is not going to like maybe knock your socks off if you're a steak aficionado so and she liked outback just like your wife did so that's where we ended up going and i decided if i'm going to do it i'll do it right i'll get a michelob ultra and i'll get a a uh, <laughs> potato with it as opposed to like drinking it with water yeah, I mean, if you were really going to do that, you should have gotten some some sort of like whiskey or scotch. Um, mm, I would have been well. okay if you. The side to me is not as important as the steak. Like if you had gone broccoli, I would have been like, oh yeah, Jason's trying to eat a steak and also watch his figure. It would have been okay. It would have been reasonable, I think. Yeah, I mean, I had I, I haven't cheated, had a baked potato so. in years. I've had a baked potato. I couldn't tell you when I had a baked potato last. Just not so a baked potato fan. Even, um. If I'm gonna do potatoes, man, I'm gonna do French fries. Like I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm well. gonna go for it. Um, sweet potatoes, I, I will eat, but I don't know when's the last baked potato. I don't know when's the last time if I, I when I eat if I eat a baked potato, it's more for the sides, man. Give me the cheese and the bacon and the the chives. Like I want all that more than I want the potato. I'm yeah, weird. I mean, so did I, but I decided to avoid those as much as possible. I didn't eat all of the potato. I just kind of ate it between bites of the steak but it was a success that's the point here this is over a year maybe nearly a year and a half in discussing this entire thing and it happened i had people texting me congratulating me still a couple of days ago people congratulating me people (laughs) that were asking for credit saying they were the reason it happened i was just like i mean yes you you were part of this as was everybody else i think clay's shame 
uh, was part of this as well. And I think it was just at this point I was ready to endure it. Like it was, it was never that I was anti-steak. I was never a giant meat eater, but it was just more that I never felt the need. It was just I never was just like oh, I've got to have a steak. This is the chance for me to have a steak. And I just kind of woke up that day, and we had not planned what we were going to do that night. And uh, she asked me what I wanted to do, and I'm like, it's time to get this monkey off the back. It's time to knock this steak out, and that's what happened. And it went great, and now I'm looking forward to another steak uh, over the next couple of weeks, and it will be medium rare, and I will tweet out more photos and maybe discuss it again on the radio because that's (laughs) apparently what my career and my degree in broadcasting has led me to is discussing my first steak. (laughs) How many angry tweets are we going to get today from people that are are upset that we didn't break down what happened in uh, San Antonio last night to start the show and talked about food instead? We're going to get a couple Uh, angry tweets. That's why I'm talking about the show. Yeah, absolutely. There will be people that are angry, and there will be people that this is right up the alley of. So there is a lot of sports to talk about. By the way, we're going to have Warren Sharp, who is really smart and knows a lot about the NFL, coming on with us the next hour. We'll have Casey Smith come in hour three, as she usually does on Friday. Uh, So we're looking forward to having her chat with us as well. Sixers beat the Heat last night, and B comes back as 23-7-4-3 if you need him. 10 of 15 from the free throw line, 3 of 4 from 3. Ben Simmons is something special. 19 and 12, had seven assists and four steals to go with that. Sarich goes 21 and 7. Wade comes back to earth, goes 2 for 10 with eight points and four turnovers. Drogic was really good. He was 8 of 13. He was efficient, had 23 and 8. Hassan Whiteside took one shot. An alley oop dunk from Wade in the fourth quarter, (laughs) made three free throws, and that's a wrap. Two boards and five points from Hassan Whiteside. So the Sixers. Get that win. They're up 2-1 in the series. I really like watching Philadelphia play, but they are so much different, Jeff, when Embiid is out there. He is so much fun to watch. He is hes one of those guys that you can look at and point to and say, there's the future of the NBA. If that guy can stay healthy, his charisma, his moxie, his swagger. The best thing I saw all last night, I think, in sports was that sequence where he was blocked on one end by Justice Justice Winslow, went to the other end and immediately blocked Justice Winslow and then (laughs) finger-wagged him like he was Dikembe Mutombo in the late 90s. That was awesome. Uh, But before last night, no player in NBA history had ever put up 23, 7, 4, and 3 blocks in in his playoff debut until, obviously, Embiid last night. I mean, there was a stretch in the the fourth quarter, kind of when the the Sixers put the game away, where Embiid had a big big play around the rim, then came down, hit a a contested 3, he had to call timeout. Um, Yeah, he changes the game, obviously. I mean, when you have a guy who's that big, can move all over the court, do anything he wants all over the court. Uh, actually, and I actually thought his mask was very innovative. I know that we talk about like how those face masks yeah. end up happening. Um, they made him one that was functional, uh, which was surprising because they normally look like they're the most awful things uh, of all time. And I really think that what what I like about him is as well as his game is just his attitude. I mean, he was obviously very upset he didn't play in game two. I get why the Sixers held him out, just knowing his injury history, knowing that it's a, a, a head injury, a face injury, um, but they need him, and they're fun to watch. I had so much fun watching that game. Like the NBA right now, 
is yep. a lot of fun to watch. Like if you were to if you were to to, to, to rank the leagues for most fun to watch, um, the NBA is and, and that's why their ratings are up, man. They they're young stars everywhere. It's a it's a high paced game. It's an athletic game. I mean, even the night, even the 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 middle game last night. I mean, Anthony Davis is dunking all over the place. Uh, it's flying around everywhere. Putbacks, alley oops. You watch this game. Points galore everywhere. Right, both teams with with over sixty points at halftime. Um, just so much fun to watch. And and as a as an NBA fan who really dials in like I do in the postseason, um, it's been a joy to watch these games so far. And you know, even tonight, I think it's, we we get Cavs Pacers tonight, right? And um, yeah, we do. You know the and look, I'm a huge LeBron guy. Um, he played out of his mind. But we're going to see Indiana tonight at home come out smoking. I mean, they're going to they're going to they're going to be it's going to be um, fun to watch that game tonight as well. I, I've really enjoyed the NBA postseason so far. Yeah, so have I. And I've made this point before uh, when we've been in together, Jeff, about one of the reasons why I think the NBA game is translating to a younger audience. One reason is it's made for social media because you can put out an eight second GIF of a dunk or an eight. You know, a 10, 12 second gift of that deal with uh, Winslow and Embiid back and forth last night. Yeah. And it works. You've also got stars, with the exception of Embiid now with the mask, but you've got guys that you can look in their eyes. They're not under helmets. Right. They don't have these kinds of things. So you see every emotion on all of these players when they're on the floor. And I think that there is some level of connection that you can draw to NBA players that you can't to a guy that's under a helmet. Uh, or a guy that's wearing a hat. Like, you can see everything that's going on. Baseball has it a little bit better than the other two sports. Hockey, if you don't know the hockey players, like, that can be, it's a great sport to watch, but right. if you're not paying close attention, there is a little bit of distance between it. Football, there is still a little bit of distance between it. Basketball, you're right there. Not to mention, you're also right there at the action. You've got the courtside seats. All of it just seems to be made for this generation. So I'm not surprised to see what we're seeing. Plus, again, when you've got Donovan Mitchell doing what Donovan Mitchell is doing in his first two playoff games, scoring more points than anybody, including Michael Jordan, ever has as a guard, and you've got Joel Embiid doing what he's doing, and you've got Anthony Davis doing what he's doing, and you've got Rajon Rondo turning back the clock and just dropping dimes all over the place. Uh, assists, he had eight assists in the first half last he night three yesterday <laughs> he did and that's maybe the most stunning thing we've ever seen in his entire career especially at his age now it's just it's just you're right it's a lot of fun and we're going to talk about lebron on this show and how game three is going to go tonight in indiana one thing that you need to know about the pacers if you have not watched them at home when they're good their crowd is one of the great crowds in the nba they are going to be loud they're yes. going to be raucous, and you add to that the fact that it's a homegrown star from the state of Indiana, uh, a Hoosier in Victor Oladipo, that is sort of the leader, the emotional center of this team, and everybody has rallied behind him, not just in the locker room, but in the stands. When we had Chris Denary, the Pacers play-by-play uh, voice on with us yesterday, he made that point clear that Oladipo has gotten the entire community to rally around him. And I think you can also point to the fact that Oladipo was so unsuccessful playing with Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City, even after being okay in Orlando, that maybe it is tough to play with a guy like Westbrook because as soon as Oladipo got out from underneath that, he absolutely exploded. You could potentially, to a lesser degree, because he showed a lot more when he was in Oklahoma City, say the same thing about a guy like James Harden. 
Harden needed to be a star. He needed to be the alpha on a team. He needed to be the number one guy to really explode. And I don't know that he ever had that opportunity when he was playing alongside Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Now we're seeing the real Victor Oladipo, the guy that went for 32 in Game 1, had 20-plus in Game 2, is taking everything like a chip on his shoulder when anybody from from Cleveland says anything negative about him. That I can't wait to see that game tonight. Like It's become such great drama yes. watching this. Oh, it's going to be a fantastic game tonight. And, and back to your point really quick about social media and the NBA. The NBA has done a fantastic job of promoting their league via social media. And there are, like you said, NBA Twitter is a lot of fun to follow. They, they, they don't take themselves too seriously. They promote their game. They enjoy their game. The NBA allows videos to be tweeted out, which NFL does not allow yes. videos to be tweeted out, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, and they do a fantastic job of drawing in that young crowd, which is so important. Yes, it's easier to market those guys because they don't wear helmets. But the NFL hurts themselves because they're so stringent on social media and not allowing teams to enjoy and put out videos of big plays, gifts of big plays. You know, they have to put up, um, you know, old school graphics to kind of joke and show that the big plays are being made. Um, it's a terrible idea by the NFL because I think the NBA has capitalized on social media and that's partly why the game is, is so popular and, and going to the, 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 the game tonight, man. Like I, I thought the Cavs at minus seven the other night was the best bet I'd ever seen. They mm. were they were the contrarian pick. They were they were getting under forty percent of tickets. Like how often is LeBron James and the Cavs? You know, you're how often are you fading them against the public? Because that's how how many people put their money on the Pacers. I thought it was a huge play. I thought the, the Cavs and I thought LeBron what he did the other night. I thought that's what he would do. The problem is the Cavs just aren't very good. LeBron puts up nope. 46, 12, and 7, and they struggle. Well, they don't cover, first of all, but they struggle to win the game. And Collison had an open three with 30 seconds left in the game, and he just missed it. Um, and you saw Indiana, man, they their their energy level, they, they did not get phased, you know, being down. They're early not afraid. Like they, did. they are They're not, not afraid, afraid. Which is and and I and I wonder if if because some of these younger players um you know they they're not afraid i think of lebron like they used to be and i don't know why that is i don't know i'm i'm not sure that there's a, a good reason for that i think everyone's kind of friendly with everyone now so no one's afraid of anybody um and they're not afraid of lebron i mean you know they obviously let not let lebron do what he wanted to but you know there's kind of a, a sense and and this has happened with i remember with the lakers back in the day with kobe and shaq is uh when when the pistons played them they said look Shaq, you get all the points you want. We just won't let Kobe score, and that's kind of what the Pacers did the other night. LeBron, just do what you want to do. I mean, he now he forcefully, you know, made his case early on, but they just didn't let anyone else score, and it worked out well for them. Uh, they only lost by three. I think tonight. I think, like you said, they're going to come out smoking tonight. You know, get, typically game three. Um, when you come back as as the home team and you've won a game um, on the road, it it's cracking in the arena. It's going to be loud tonight, like you mentioned. It's going to be a fun game to watch. I think that that's a good question as to why maybe the Pacers are sort of oblivious or just don't or flat out don't care about LeBron James in terms of being afraid of him on the court. We'll talk about that after this. Maybe there is a reason for it, and maybe it actually extends past basketball. We'll be right back. It's I'll kick the coverage. J. Martin, Jeff, in for Clay on Fox Sports Radio.
Welcome back in Outkick the Coverage Radio program. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people pay for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you see it. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Clay's back on Monday. I'm Jason Martin, his executive producer, joined usually, as always, I guess, by Jeff Schwartz. He's down in Charlotte at GEOFF Schwartz. we got Danny G and Justin Cooper on his favorite day of the year out in L.A. spinning the Dodge radio style for us. So before the break, Jeff, you were talking about LeBron James and how the Pacers are, are basically unafraid of him. And I was trying to contextualize it and look at it in other sports. I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see as we get deeper into this series whether or not that continues to be true or whether it begins to wane because... I think that there are a couple of comparisons you make. One could be to Tiger Woods a little bit, in that no one is afraid of Tiger Woods on a golf course anymore. Jordan Spieth's not going into the tunnel every time he sees Tiger Woods. Rory's not afraid of that guy. Nobody is afraid of him. Now, LeBron, even at his advanced age, is still the best player in the world, uh, bar none. But look at Tom Brady, for example, and the New England Patriots last year with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who weren't afraid of them early on in that game and then as it got tight all of a sudden the play calling changed all of a sudden the confidence especially in the offensive side of the ball wasn't quite what it what we expected and then we saw the Patriots do what the Patriots do that's what I'm curious to see as we get deeper into this series are we going to see Victor Oladipo who by the way is from Maryland when I said homegrown I meant that he played at IU not that he was actually born there we had a couple of people correct me on Twitter appreciate you guys for that but it's just when we get to, if we get to game six, if we get to game seven in this series, then we're going to see what Indiana is truly made of. Now, I believe in Oladipo, and I believe in, I, I mean, Lance Stevenson just plays to try and irritate LeBron James at this point in his career. And yeah. I believe in Collison and what he's capable of doing. But some of those other guys, the one thing that we know is, at least historically in the NBA playoffs, your role players are supposed to show up at home. They're supposed to really go off offensively. That's where they're comfortable. That's a gym they're used to. That's where they can get their shot, and they understand what that corner looks like. They yep. even know how the lighting comes off of the rim. They know everything about it. They're comfortable there. And then they go on the road. What travels on the road is defense, unless you're the Golden State Warriors where everything will travel, or Houston who can score all of those points and, and things to that effect. What I think scares you if you're Cleveland is their guys didn't show up at home. I mean, Larry Nash Jr. and Jordan Clarkson and all these guys, they were like a net minus 35 in the plus-minus rating in Game 2. LeBron James had to overcome his own team trying to sabotage him through their poor play on the floor just to get through Game 2. So you have to expect that those guys are somehow going to have to wake up in Indiana in an extremely hostile environment against a team that seems to be telling LeBron James, if you're going to beat us, we're going to take everything out of you. And let's let's not forget, Jeff, this is the first season in his entire career LeBron James has played all 82 games. He played more minutes than anybody on the floor in games one and two. Is he going to hit a wall, or is he just a cyborg? Well, I think you saw at the end of the game, he kind of did hit a wall. I remember in the first quarter when he was going off, you know, he had thir- what he had sixteen uh, of their first. We had the first sixteen points, and then Kevin Love yeah. had a three. Um, but the Cavs called a timeout 
about five minutes in because LeBron was gassed. I mean, they're at the the um, the Pacers were at the foul line and they just called the timeout because you could like LeBron like you know motioned over to Lou. Um, he was gassed. I mean, he came out smoking there. So yeah, I think the pace for LeBron he doesn't he doesn't want to score that many points every night. That's why he's going to leave the Cavs and he's going to go somewhere else where he doesn't have to score that many points every night to help his team win. And, and, and you know, we got this conversation on Twitter uh, the other night with, with some people. Is Why does it seem like LeBron always has to carry the team, even when he's had talent, right? He had Kyrie and Love. He had to, you know Wade and Bosh. Uh, the first Cavs teams, he had no talent. But it always seems like in the end, it's up to LeBron to win these games. He's tired of, of having to, to be that guy because, like you said, to play an entire season, to lead the league in minutes at his age, to, to, to come in the playoffs, and again, have to be the bell coming tonight. Who, who else on the Cavs do you trust to, to, you know, to, to put the ball in their hands, to, to score a big possession, or hit a big shot tonight outside of LeBron. I mean, maybe Kevin Love, but his busted up thumb is gonna is gonna hurt uh, him. Gu- you know, guiding the ball um, when he goes to shoot uh, with his uh, with his left hand. I, who else do you trust? I, I, th- I think LeBron is tired of being that guy that always has to do everything for his team, especially in year fifteen. I agree with you. I think eventually he will wear down. I mean, I don't think they make it to the finals now, and and I think I think the Sixers um, are so young, um, they're not going to be scared by LeBron. I promise you that, and they're going to beat them at some point in the playoffs if if they get out if if they get out of this round. I I don't know if they get out of this round. They lose tonight, they'll obviously be down two to one. They'll have to obviously sneak by and win one of these games in Indiana to go back home to Cleveland, and then and then. You talked about it. The uh, will will the Pacers be able to handle the pressure of a game six and a game seven in Cleveland? That's when we'll know if they're if they're you know afraid of LeBron or not. Yeah, and I think that that's yet to be determined. But if you look at this team, who else do you trust? The answer is really nobody. I mean, J.R. Smith's no a guy that can go out and just shoot the lights out of it sometimes, and then other times he takes some of the worst shots in the history not- of the NBA. But not on the road, which is what you mentioned. That yes. happens more at home because because role players play better at home. And so far, you know, through two games, whoever shoots the three better is winning the game. And that's kind of what the NBA has become right now. You know, threes and layups, um, and especially in this series. You know, Indiana started started game two cold. They obviously were shooting lights out in game one, especially in the first half, and. Like you mentioned, in the NBA, on the road, you don't shoot as well, especially the role players. And now you're going to ask uh, the Cavs tonight to come into Indiana and shoot a better three-point percentage than the Pacers. And I think I've always done this. Game three, uh, when, a, when a team goes back home, if the series is tied at 1-1 or they're, they're up 2-0, I bet the home team. I mean, I, I, I said yesterday that the Pelicans would blow out the Blazers at home. I mean, they're up, oh, they're, they're up 2-0. After winning two road games, they get to come back home in front of their crowd and basically put the series, you know, out of reach. They were going to do that last night. You know, the Spurs down 0-2. I think it's tougher when you're down 0-2 to come home, uh, especially with the Warriors playing at the level they are. Even without Steph Curry, Durant has really stepped up his game with Curry out. I mean, that's why Durant is there, and they expect that from him, you know, as well. Obviously, the Spurs dealing with a little bit of a of a you know emotions. Last night, but if you're if you're if the series is one one or two zero and you go back home for game three, I always expect the home team to play really well in that situation. To answer your question about LeBron seemingly always having to carry a team, I look at the guys that he's played with. He's had a couple of things that have always been true in his career. One is he's never really played with a great big man. He played with the shell of Shaq 
in Cleveland for a little while, but that absolutely doesn't even count. But you look at the third guy in the big three situations. Now, Wade was there for him all the time. Kyrie was generally there for him all the time. He was a guy that could win the game himself. Kyrie could win with what he could do offensively, despite the fact he was one of the worst defenders in the league, especially when he was in Cleveland. But look at Kevin Love and then look at Chris Bosh. Those are two guys that have a lot in common. They came from teams that didn't win where they were stars, and then they became the third option. Not only did they become the third option, they became a very inconsistent third option where you always watch them and said man that guy could have 10 more points he should have eight more points and then they would take a brunt actually of criticism from the media but I don't know if it's just that LeBron soaks up so much of so much attention or not it would seem that if you play with LeBron James who is such a wonderful passer and often such an unselfish player I mean in game one LeBron didn't take his first shot until I think there was 152 left in the first quarter, and it was a three-pointer that sent him to the free-throw line. So he didn't take any shots. He was trying to get everybody involved. You saw how that worked out. So in Game 2, he went out and was like, no, I'm going to win this thing myself, and had 16 and went crazy there in the first quarter. But I think that's what it is. Like You look at Golden State. They all kind of came together as a team. It wasn't pieces that came from other places other than Durant for the most part. The key guys were there. Draymond was always there. Klay Thompson was always there. It was different than what we've seen where LeBron goes and grabs this piece from this team and that guy was in a completely different role and then has to change. It's very difficult to go from, just to make the analogy, it's tough to be like a radio host and then show up and try to be a guest on a radio show. Because you're trying to take over, but you can't. You can't really find whatever your niche is or whatever it is that you're supposed to do. So a lot of times you're throwing up air balls, you're throwing up jumpers off the front of the rim, and you're doing what Kevin Love often does, which is I've got 17 rebounds, but here's your nine points, and you need right. more than that in the playoffs. Yeah, and, and to your point, I mean, Chris Boss had zero points in a Game Seven of, of NBA Finals. Yes, uh, and, and and obviously Love only had eight shots in Game One, which is not acceptable for a, for a second option. But it's to me, it's because LeBron is just so good that you can just say, LeBron, here's the ball, and you win the game for us. Like you can always, that's always a fallback when you play with LeBron. As you say, LeBron, here's the ball, you do what you do. I mean, you saw what he did in, in, in the first quarter. I mean, he, the team, no one looked for the ball. I, I mean, if you watch it, they, they would just like play on offense like four corners. They, they, they just yeah. went away, off the wing, and let LeBron do whatever the heck he they wanted. Stood they stood around. They stood around and watched right, him. Right. They almost marveled at him like we marvel at him. Yes. And and that I think is is LeBron is just so good that that people that he plays with are just like look if we have a bad night we'll let LeBron win it for us or you know we need to win here's LeBron um, he's you know besides Dwayne Wade I don't think he's ever had a guy with a killer instinct like like him you know Dwayne Wade still plays like that he's, he's not but I see but I think Kyrie only got that toward the end of the, of the playoffs when he got more confidence. Uh, I don't think he had that until he, it actually happened in, in Game 7. Like I don't think I, I feel like he, he learned that over that series, but he didn't have that originally. Well, I think one of, the problems, one of the problems, the Thunder probably should have won a championship when they had Westbrook, when they had yes. Kevin Durant, and certainly when they had Harden, who disappeared in the NBA Finals I mean, that year. They were, they were three, playing. Against the, they were up 3-1 against the yes. Warriors. They yes, won. believe me. Believe me, as a Thunder fan, I, I remember it full well. But the problem always, and Charles Barkley used to contextualize this on a regular basis on TNT, was eventually it would turn into hero ball. 
and it would be Russ trying to win on his own or Durant trying to win on his own and no one else yes. being able to fit in around that, not knowing, and then just kind of standing there twiddling their thumbs and occasionally the ball would be passed to them. They'd be stunned, not know what to do with it, and it'd be a turnover or it'd be a missed shot or it'd be something like that. There was nothing cohesive about it. The thing that's so beautiful to watch about Golden State, for example, and I would suggest Villanova was a perfect example of this during the NCAA tournament, is the way in which they passed the ball. Loyola Chicago yes. was fan, was fantastic at this as well. The way that they moved the ball, how unselfish they were, how it didn't matter who scored. And I don't think LeBron at all is a selfish player, but I think everybody looks at him and they're just like, well, why would we take a shot? Look at that guy. And they just right. get caught up just staring at him as opposed to playing their game fully. And a lot of these role players are just receding into the background and proving why they're role players. Well, you saw at the end of the game, Larry Nance Jr. had a possession where LeBron was being doubled, and he basically had to do it on his own. And he had a, he was not presented with that opportunity at all until until that moment in the game, and he flubbed it. Like, he just like the guys are so used to LeBron doing it for them that when they're asked to do it, I'm not saying that Larry Nance Jr. is is or should be a, a guy who, who you trust at the end of the game, but he's very talented, right? And so he had the ball in a situation where they needed some points, and he was isolated on his own, and he couldn't do it because LeBron had done it all game, and like you said, the guys are standing off to the side, they throw him the ball, and it's like, oh, wait, 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 I have to, I have to play now and make a play because LeBron yeah. does it all, so... I understand why LeBron tries to get his teammates involved, especially in game one, considering that this is essentially a new crew of players that he's playing with who have not played with him in the playoffs. Now, some guys have playoff experience, but just not with LeBron. I get why he did that. Um, but to your point, like he, to me, LeBron cannot keep up this pace um, throughout the playoffs. He, he can't do it. He's too old to, to have to put up so many minutes and so many points for his team to barely win games. He's going to need role players to step up. And that, that, le- that just leads me to believe he's gone. He's gone. He's, he's leaving Cleveland, which I think is a foregone conclusion. The question is, where does he go? Um, does he go to L.A. and try to build up that roster there? They have a lot of young talent. They have room for to add a couple of players. I see. I see Anthony Davis out there, and I just think to myself, future Laker. That's, I just. I just. I'm uh-huh. going to hold out hope that the, that the future Laker. I'm waiting for my future Laker drop to come in. Um, future Laker Anthony Davis, but. I think LeBron, if he went to Philly, man, it would be it's so Scary. much fun to watch. So you, frightening. And, and, and they can afford to pay him. I don't think he goes to Houston. Um, D'Antoni doesn't seem to be the fit of the offense he wants to be in. I, I just think Philly, and you mentioned, playing with a big man like Embiid would just yep. open up the floor for LeBron. And he also, he has Ben Simmons there. And so he won't be required to dish the ball as much. He can kind of do what I think he's always envisioned is being the older guy, the veteran guy who when they need him to step up, he can do it. But on a nightly basis, he can rely on Simmons and Embiid to handle a lot of the workload. And then LeBron just has to get, you know, 15, 18 points. And every, you know, every now and then, look, LeBron, I need you to win this, you know, win this game for us. Go get 35, right? Um, so I think Philly to me would be would be a great fit for him. Um, and then, you know, then he's in the talk, and and I think that to, to separate himself from Jordan and, and just a, 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 the way to look at LeBron and maybe in his mind is look, I I can go somewhere and win championships at three different places. And I can be a, a team builder different than what Jordan ever was, which he didn't build that team, right? He had Pippen. He had Phil Jackson. He won the six championships. I can be different than Jordan by winning a championship at three different cities. 
better than Jordan? Our guy, Eddie Garcia. Let's go to him and find out what happened last night in the world of sports. Eddie. Oh, you are too kind. In the NBA playoffs, the Warriors beat the Spurs in San Antonio 110-97. Kevin Durant, 26 points for Golden State as they have the 3-0 series lead. Durant did suffer an ankle injury late in the fourth quarter, but says he'll be ready for Game 4. Of course, uh, San Antonio did not have Greg, uh, head coach Greg Popovich, who is away from the team after the passing of his wife. 76ers beat the Heat in Miami 128-108. to Joel Embiid, back from the facial fracture, had 23 points in his first career playoff game. Philadelphia grabs a 2-1 series lead. Pelicans over the Trailblazers 119-102. Nikola Miritich, 30 points for New Orleans. They've got a 3-0 series lead, and the sixth seed is one win away from sweeping the three seed out west. NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Bruins beat the Maple Leafs in Toronto 3-1. Boston with a 3-1 series lead. Capitals over the Blue Jackets in Columbus 4-1. The road teams won every game so far in that series, which is now tied at 2-2. This report's brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car, so visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Guys, a couple of baseball notes. The big series showdown between the Red Sox and Angels turned out to be anything but. Boston wrapping up a three-game sweep of the Halos with an 8-2 win. Red Sox outscored the Angels 27-3 in the series. Boston now 16-2 on the year. Best start in franchise history. And the Reds fired their manager, Brian Price. 16 and 2 for the Red Sox to start the season. That is, is that <laughs> I believe that's a positive. Like, I'm not great at math, but 16 and 2 is utterly ridiculous. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800 947 Auto. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Well, if the Red Sox are great at 16 and 2, have we seen a worse? more dead, lifeless performance than what we've gotten from the Portland Trailblazers in the first three games <laughs> of the first round of the NBA playoffs. That is where we will head next. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Happy April the 20th. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was highest rated for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. Clay's back on Monday. He's in New York with his lovely wife, Laura. I believe, at least when he first told me he was taking this trip a couple of months ago, I think that he's seeing Hamilton this weekend uh, for the first time. So I assume he will be talking about that next week. Yeah, I I imagine he will let us know, yes. Okay, so... My parents are not awake right now, so they're not listening. So I'm, I can go ahead and say this. My parents listen often to what I do. My mom has seen Hamilton, okay? Yeah. And I've never seen my mom more obsessed with anything in her entire life than Hamilton. Every time we are together, she plays some sort of song from that play. Whether it's, like, I could say something about anything of U.S. history or politics nowadays. She's, no, I, I, you got to listen to Hamilton. Hamilton, they, they talk <laughs> about this situation in Hamilton. She plays the clip, and I'm like, Mom, Mom, I, I don't care. I like U.S. history. I was going to major in U.S. history. I majored in yep. political science instead. Me too. I love Mine. you. Like I love, I love U.S. history. Um, but Mom, I didn't see the play, so I really can't relate. To the songs that you're playing, because I have not seen it. Now, would I like to see it? Sure. Like I'm going to New York next week. I've not seen the play. I have other things to do. I, I I would love to go take my wife to New York for a weekend, and maybe we'll do that once, and we'll go see the play, and I'll understand the songs. But like, and I'm like, Mom, I don't want to listen to this. And she's, like, I don't. She's like, I don't care. And she plays it for like four minutes, anyways. Like it's it's unbelievable. It's like me me and my mom are very close, and typically. 
I agree with whatever she wants to listen to or whatever. Like we have the same taste, but this is one thing where I just tell her flat out, stop playing this. Like I'm tired of listening to Hamilton. <laughs> like it's uh, it's. And she just says, like, well, when I'm working out, I'll just like listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. <laughs> it's un- it's, the obsession with Hamilton is unbelievable to me. And maybe I need to see it so I understand the obsession. Um, but like it, she said, like, it touches her, like it, the, the story. And I was like, okay, mom, like, what? Okay, sure. So it's, I'm like a very, I'm like very sore about this subject because it's, it's nonstop. So I'm looking forward to, to Clay talking um, about what he thinks, considering he is also a, a very big fan of U.S. history. Yeah, uh, we all are, I believe. And and then uh, another story about Hamilton, which was certainly not about the Portland Trailblazers. We'll get to that. There's there's other sports to talk about as well. We're going to talk a lot about the NFL schedule in the next hour. Warren Sharp is set to join us. That's going to be a lot of fun. But when we were on Radio Row this year, uh, Scott Shapiro, the vice president of Fox Sports, one of the higher-ups there, he sat down with us for a meal one day, and he talked about Hamilton for like an hour. Like He kept talking about how great it was, and that's when I found out Clay was going to try and see it uh, when he went to New York, and I believe it was going to be this trip, although I'm not 100% sure, so don't hold me to that. But like every time I saw Scott the rest of the week, I figured he was going to walk up to me and say, did you see Hamilton yet? As if I had an opportunity <laughs> in Minneapolis to go see it. I want like, to the see people it. that have seen this it's like it. heroin so do i so do i but i have but i have not but i have not been to i haven't been to uh new york with my wife since i think i left the city like i'm going up there for i'm going up there for um for business next week i'm going to yankees yeah. game but still like i'm i'm not going by myself i'm not going with another guy like, i want to take my wife and eventually maybe they'll come through charlotte and i'll go yeah, no, I understand that. I, I would see it. Like, if I got to New York right around now, I would try to see it. But I'm also not made of money. And, and even though I went to Tax go, Slayer, sometimes you still end up having to pay the government a little bit of money. <laughs> well, my, my, I, I paid, I, it's not my pen taxes. I paid a little bit um, at the, at December 31st. I paid uh, what we kind of estimated. And my CPA sent me the extension Sunday night. They, they always send it like the worst time of night. Like I'm like half asleep at 10 p.m. and I get like an email from my CPA. And I had to call them on Monday. I'm like, is this additional money or this is what we've already paid? And they're like, this is additional money. And I was like, oh boy, I better keep working for a long time. Yeah, I'll tell you who's not going to be working for a long time. The Portland Trailblazers. They're going to be fishing next week. We will start the next hour by talking about one of the biggest no-shows I've seen in the playoffs in quite some time. Stick with us. It's Jeff and J. Martin for Clay on Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Clay in New York. I'm Jason Martin, his executive producer at JMR Outkick, joined by NFL offensive line veteran Jeff Schwartz at GEOFF Schwartz. Don't talk to him about Hamilton. That's clearly a sore subject in his family right now because well, his mother well, it's not, it's, is obsessed it's not a with sore it. Subject. It's a good thing it's that she that likes something that much. I haven't. I just haven't seen it yet, and so I want to see it before we play the soundtrack every single time I see her. Yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Uh, again, we're not going to be seeing much of Portland. Uh, we've seen enough of Portland, <laughs> quite frankly. Look, they were red hot after the All Star break. This Blazers team, it's like this team's going to give people trouble in the playoffs. I said it. I remember it coming out of my own mouth on this very radio program. I'd like to have that one back. I mean, OutKick employees Fred Siegel takes exposed, and uh, that's not looking too good for me. I'm glad I didn't tweet anything about Portland, or that would be spread all over the place right now because they've been undressed 
by the New Orleans Pelicans in the first three games of this series. Here's Damian Lillard on just trying to get one victory. They shot the ball really well. You know, they made a lot of shots, a lot of contested shots. Things just went their way. And next game, maybe they don't shoot the ball so well. You know, we just got to get a win. You know, at this point, we got to uh, have some pride, uh, go out there and just try to get a win and take it back home. Anthony Davis had 35 in game one. Drew Holiday had 33 in game two. Last night, the man, the myth, the legend, Nikola Miritich with 30. <laughs> Rondo looks like he's about to win a ring with KG, Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kendrick Perkins right now. Meanwhile, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, two of, I would say, probably the top 15 to 20 players in the league, no shows in the first two games. They do show up last night, but Damian Lillard yeah. still barely has any field goals. He turns the ball over eight times. You've got guys like Yusuf Nurkic, who is asking for a max contract in the offseason. Last night in a must-win playoff game, goes for every bit, and I mean every bit, of five points last <laughs> night for the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> I know that there are better examples that I'm probably overlooking, but how disappointed are you if you're a Portland Trailblazers fan, when you think of how good people thought you could be in this postseason, yeah. to potentially be swept by a Pelicans team, no one was even taken seriously outside of Anthony Davis. Well, how about this stat? Um, with with Damian Lillard on the team, and as a road underdog, this is entering last night, so I'll change the numbers, but entering last night, the Blazers are 2-14 and 14. In that situation, they're now two and fifteen as a road underdog, um, and they lost now fifteen consecutive games straight up in that spot, losing. And this is not including last night, but losing by an average of fifteen points. I think they lost last night by seventeen, right? So they're just not good as a road underdog, and, and, and I, I don't know for what reason that is. Um, but they don't seem to play well in that situation. They're going to be a road underdog again Thursday night uh, when they play or Friday night. As, no. I'm all my my days are all messed up. Um, they're going to be a, a road underdog the the the, the next day they play, um, and they're probably going to lose that game as well. I don't see how they go into New Orleans and win a game unless Anthony Davis has an off night, unless the the the, the Pelicans can't shoot. Um, if your only response and, and Dame Lillard said was we just have to shoot better, that's not going to win you a lot of basketball games. You have to do more than that to win to win games in the playoffs. Charles Barkley said between games one and game and game two the other night where Miami was able to get the win over Philadelphia and there was another series I think it was a Jazz got back into it uh, over the Oklahoma City Thunder and they were both they were both kind of situations where Barkley said look this reeks of playoff basketball where one game doesn't mean anything compared to the next there's not really a narrative that gets formed in a lot of these playoff series you can't read too much into it I can read something into the fact that. The Pelicans won game one by two, won game two by nine, and last night won by 17. Portland had 24 turnovers and at one point in the game trailed by 33 points. This is an NBA team with two studs on it who can absolutely get their own shot when they want it. And they actually scored. They showed up last night. You had, uh, let's see, you had Lillard and McCollum give you 26 in the first half. Aminu gave you 15. Everybody else had four. Combined, four points. Dame and CJ were totally absent in games one and two. And again, Rondo had eight assists. It's 24 turnovers. It's sloppy basketball. But you're talking, you hear, we heard that audio of Damian Lillard talking about we've got to win one for pride. 
Pride should have come a long time ago. Like You don't need to be inspired by getting blown out to win one. You lost by two at home, okay. Then you come back, you get beat a little bit worse in game two. It can happen. What can happen is then just come. You've got to show up in game three on this level. And they didn't. And it was embarrassing. Let's, let's go out to the guys in LA. We haven't talked to them yet. Let's bring in Danny G and Justin Cooper, two big NBA fans as well. We talked about this, guys, during the regular season about how Portland was going to be really fun to watch yep. once we got to the playoffs. This team hasn't just been disappointing, they've been absolutely abhorrent so far in the playoffs. Well, and I mentioned it on the show last week that they were the only NBA team entering the playoffs with two top 10 players yeah. in Lillard and McCollum. So that makes it even more embarrassing. I, th- I think what we've seen is their defense is horrible. I mean, <laughs> you're trying to play defense with starting guards who cannot keep people in front of them. That's really hard. It puts too much pressure on your inside defenders. And then you ask the question, what inside def- defenders? Because they've spent all their money on the backcourt, which is great, but... You know, the starting uh, players who have never uh, before been starters, that that's what we're dealing with uh, in their interior. So they, they cannot stop the Pelicans. They've made Drew Holiday and Rondo look like they are playing, you know, next world level basketball. Yeah, it, it, it is. It blows my mind how bad they've been after how good they were. What was it one time they had like a 13 game winning streak after the All Star break, like where they were just completely on fire? But when you look up pretender in the dictionary, you might see Dave Grohl, you might see the pretenders, but you're also going to see a photo of Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and the rest of the Portland Trailblazers right now, because this is embarrassing. Like This isn't just losing. This is getting humiliated on a national stage. And Portland doesn't often get, you know, we talk about the Toronto Raptors and how because they're in Canada and their market, we don't see them a lot on national television. And Clay makes a good argument when he says that because there are two studs on that team with Lowry and especially with DeMar DeRozan who is really coming into his own. And that team's got all kinds of depth and playoff experience with guys like Serge Ibaka who have been to the NBA Finals before and know what that looks like. Toronto should win the East. They should. Cleveland can't win the East, I don't think, even with LeBron James. We discussed that a lot in the first hour of this program. Philadelphia is so young Youth, usually, it takes a few years. You have to step up in the NBA. You start as an eight seed, then you become a four seed, then you can maybe become a top seed. I think they're about a year away. I think we're going to start to really pay attention to them next season, and they're going to give somebody headaches, but they're going to find a way to falter and fall short, learn from it, and then be incredibly deadly next year. But when you look at guys, it's not like Damian Lillard just entered the league. It's not like he hasn't been. He's won playoff games with game-winning shots. In the past, I remembered a couple of years ago, it was like 1.30 in the morning, they beat the Clippers because Lillard caught a three from like 28 feet. One thirty in the morning, that's fantastic, because it always is that late. Yeah, it's, it's utterly ridiculous. And, and C.J. McCollum, the same way, like these are guys, they didn't just enter the league, but this team looks like they've never played basketball before. 24 turnovers in a playoff game? Damian Lillard, I think, only had, what, it was somewhere around seven field goals last night. I mean, he scored decent points. But it wasn't an efficient performance, especially when you consider he had more turnovers than he did made right. buckets. You can't win like that when your star is doing that. I, I know nobody expected Portland to get out of the West, but we were expecting them to challenge in these next rounds and really put it to whoever it was that they were going to face. And uh, they're going to be facing, I don't know, whatever their favorite kind of tropical fish yeah. is with their rods off the side in Cancun. 
Because they're done. You know, I, I, I've never been able to pinpoint why teams don't play well in the playoffs. I mean, maybe it's the pressure. Maybe it's the situation of, of knowing you should win. That's also kind of part of the pressure. Maybe you just don't have as much confidence in yourself as you should, you know, because we see in, in all sports, I mean, the 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 Capitals in hockey are the best regular season team every year, but don't win the playoffs. You're a Braves fan. Y'all won the division 14 years in a row. Yeah. Uh, 14, right? And won one, yes. won one championship um, in that stretch. And, you know, we see, and, uh, you know, like I, I'm going to throw this out here for, for Danny G. Look, the Giants in baseball d- don't have good regular seasons and yet have won three World Series. They did it as a wild card team twice. Um, they won, I think, I think they won the division once out of those three years. Um, but otherwise, teams step up in the playoffs and, and other teams don't. And I, I wish I could pinpoint like a, like a trait in an athlete to say this is why they. You know the the clutch gene. I don't think that, I think that's kind of. Uh, I'm not sure that's a thing. Uh, but like, but like, I'll give you an example. Like for me personally, I always thought I played better when the lights came on on a night game. I just liked the big atmosphere of a night game. For me personally, it fired me up a little bit. I'm not saying that the the, the 1 p.m. games and, and we'll talk about NFL schedule. I'm sure with with Warren Sharp coming up here in a second, but. I liked the idea of a night game. Now, is the older you get, the less you want to play because you just want to get home after games. They're they're a disaster um, to play those. It ruins like three days of your sleep. Um, but um, I liked the, the bright lights. I always thought I played better in a playoff game or in a big game. Um, I don't I don't know why. Maybe because I I was confident in myself. I prepared. I had no fear when I was playing. I didn't fear anything. I thought I could always beat the guy in front of me. I never gave that guy credit that he could beat me. And, I, and that's the way I played. Um, and maybe other guys just don't have confidence in themselves when the lights come on in a big situation. Um, and that maybe that's as simple as it is. And, and that's why the Capitals can't do anything. The 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 the, the the Trailblazers ha- haven't done much in the playoffs. Is they don't have confidence in their ability, and then you know four teams that continually lose in the playoffs. I think that eventually creeps in the back of your mind. Is is wow? We better we need to win this series because we know how it's gone in the past, and if we lose again, we're going to be the butt of jokes again, um, and we don't want to be that. And that creeps in the back of your mind and it affects your preparation. Lillard, though, has always struck me as a guy that had a lot of confidence. So last night, I actually gave him too much credit. I said he made seven shots. He only made five field goals to go with eight turnovers last night in that game. You're, you're just not going to be able to win doing that. And at this point, I kind of want to see him get swept because get out of here. Like it's time to it's time to move on. Like I don't I don't need to see a game five in this series. Let's go ahead. The Pelicans have been super impressive. They've been just as impressive as Portland has been a no show. But when you lose the first two games and you go on the road, you got to show up. You got to be aggressive. You got to be going after it. And look, they did offensively in the first half go after it but their defense I think that's the point here their defense is atrocious their defense nobody in that backcourt is able to stop anybody Rajon Rondo should not look like this is 2009 Rajon Rondo looks like it's 2009 like it looks like the dude should be in the all-star game right now or playing for the Harlem Globetrotters but he's, oh, but the see, way but he's, he's a good the example he's always played better True. When the spotlight came on in the postseason, like he's one of those like, gamer clutch gene, whatever it is, he plays better in these situations. And like I said, I don't know if there's like like something we can point to and say this is why guys play better in the situation. I think it's a, a combination of things that I laid out, but that definitely 
is is something in sports. I, I think it, it definitely is. You know, Rondo shows up in big situations when his team needs him to do. Now he might play poorly in the regular season at times, but when you need him in the playoffs, he seems to always be there. Justin, you had a question for us. Yeah, one thing that I've been thinking of throughout the entirety of this series, watching the Pelicans go up three three zero. Is I wonder, do you think that this Pelicans team would be as good as they are right now and as as successful if Boogie Cousins was still playing? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I actually was thinking about it myself, and I think the answer might be no. I think there's something about the chemistry with this particular unit where they look like they're having a lot of fun playing basketball together. I don't know that anyone that's ever played long-term basketball with DeMarcus Cousins would describe that experience as fun long-term and cohesive long-term. Anthony Davis seems to be a really affable cat, a guy that you can really enjoy watching, a guy that seems to be really grounded in addition to his talent, can be very unselfish, but when he needs to, he can take a basketball game over. Boogie Cousins, to me, and when we when he first got moved there, I thought this could be a fantastic deal because I really liked DeMarcus's game, but I'm looking at this Pelicans team right now and saying, I don't think they're in this position if Cousins is actually on the floor. I think that they are better off. I think it's addition by subtraction because there's something to be said for chemistry and cohesion when you get to the playoffs, and this mix is really, really working for New Orleans. Yeah, I think that that is definitely part of it. I think confidence is, is so important and finding the right uh, combination of, of players. And I agree with you, Justin. I think that if Boogie was there, it'd be a different um, feel to the series. And, and the Pelicans might not be playing as well as, as, as they have been. You asked a question, Coop. What What is your take on that? That's kind of, I mean, it's kind of the same thing that you felt, Jason. I, I, I mean, I'm a huge Boogie Cousins fan. I love. Yeah. I, I think he's you know the best center in the game when he's on, and you know he he puts up numbers that we haven't seen since Shaq. But I kind of get that same inkling that like they probably wouldn't be flowing as well with him on the floor. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. They've been incredibly impressive. Another guy who's really impressive is Warren Sharp. We have not had him on this program before. I've wanted to have him on for a while. We're going to talk about the NFL draft. We're going to talk about the schedule release. We're going to talk about analytics. We're also going to talk about this Kevin Clark piece from The Ringer, and we'll continue to discuss this after we get off with Warren Sharp as well. Reports that the Cleveland Browns could be looking at drafting multiple quarterbacks, potentially even at one and four, to try and find their guy. We'll discuss that next with Warren Sharp. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back inside. Geico Outkick Studios. This is the Outkick the Coverage radio program, Friday edition. Clay Travis is in New York. He's back on Monday. I'm Jason Martin, his executive producer at JMart Outkick, joined by NFL offensive line veteran Jeff Schwartz at GEOFF Schwartz on the tweets to find him. By the way, car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people pay for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you see it. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. You know what the biggest sport in the country is when Twitter nearly breaks because of a schedule release. So we're going to talk about the NFL schedule as well as next week's NFL draft. I'm going to do it with a guy that we've wanted on this show for a while. It's really good to welcome in Warren Sharp. You can find him at Sharp Football on Twitter. The website is sharpfootballanalysis.com as well as sharpfootballstats.com. You've seen him on Fox. You've seen him inside the Wall Street Journal. You've seen him at ESPN. He joins us now. Warren, good morning. Thanks for waking up early with us. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. So 
look, the schedule comes out, and we don't know how great it's going to be until we start to see how these teams actually play. But what jumped out to you uh, with this schedule release as you began to look at it and break it down? Well, obviously, I think the schedule organizers are getting a lot better at trying to uh, make things fair and balanced. Um, you know, in years past, like even just two, three years ago, uh, there would be teams that uh, have the tremendous disadvantage of playing a bunch of teams that are uh, on longer rest or um, they have to do more travel. So all of those disparities get shrunk each and every year, it seems, and they do a better job at kind of making things balanced. One of the things that I immediately start to look at is um, I take some early, an early look at uh, strength of schedule based upon a blend of Super Bowl futures and power rankings. And I want to know immediately, you know, who has to start off with the most difficult schedule in terms of uh, the first month of the season, uh, of for the first, you know, six, six to eight weeks of the season. And the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs and the New York Giants are three teams that are starting off with the three most difficult schedules in the league in terms of their overall strength of opponent. And that's going to be interesting because those guys are literally 32, 31, and 30 in ease of schedule. And all three are likely starting uh, rookie quarterbacks or in the argument or discussion of will they draft a quarterback, right? The New York Giants have said they probably will draft a running back potentially instead of a quarterback. Um, but all those guys might be getting in um, young quarterbacks to start, and they're going to be facing very difficult schedules. So uh, I like to look at the strength of schedule right away when I start breaking this thing down. So if they're struggling off the top, how about the other side? Who is it that you look at and say, all right, well, that favors them based on what they have on the field, based on my numbers and projections? Who is it that you look at and say, well, they could be in the driver's seat based on the way things have played out before, obviously, we've seen any of these games? Well, what, the the team that has the easiest schedule, at least in the first eight weeks of the season, um, sets up to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. And obviously they've got a great team. Um, hopefully they're getting Le'Veon Bell back, who's you know uh, holding out right now. But they have an extremely easy schedule to start the year. They play the Cleveland Browns twice um, in the first eight weeks. They also have a bye week seven. Um, and they play the Bucks and the Chiefs, who are obviously starting Pat Mahomes. So uh, an easier schedule there. So they are one of the teams. Also, I think an interesting team, very interesting team to pay attention to this season is going to be the Chicago Bears. They've got Mitchell Trubisky in there, and they've got a new head coach, new coaching staff, a new offense. I think that's going to be an interesting team to watch in terms of the talent. They brought in Allen Robinson. they got a number of new pieces there offensively. Uh, they have the second easiest schedule over the first eight weeks, so that's going to help that transition ease into. And then you've got the New England Patriots, who don't need any help, obviously, but they've got the third easiest schedule. They've got the overall easiest schedule of this entire uh, season if you go the full 17 weeks, but it helps them certainly that they are in a division with the, with the Jets, with the Bills, and with the Dolphins, three of arguably the worst teams in the entire NFL. Um, I will throw in there one extra team, and that is the Jets. They play the fourth easiest schedule over the first eight weeks, and obviously they're priming uh, contention of potentially drafting Baker Mayfield or another one of the quarterbacks in case that's a smokescreen. So um, that quarterback might have an easy transition there. The website is sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can also go to sharpfootballstats.com. Follow him on Twitter at sharpfootball. Warren Sharp, our guest here on Outkick the Coverage.
All right, Warren. Talking about the schedule, and, and you just mentioned all the all the tough opponents that that teams have. Would it be would it be fairer or easier to judge a schedule based on the quarterbacks you're going to play over just the toughness? Because you know we know injuries happen and 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 different you know influences throughout the year. But typically, quarterback is the one thing uh, or the one player that that stays healthy. Would it be more beneficial looking if you're a fan of a team to look more at the quarterbacks you're playing over just the toughness of your schedule? I think that's an interesting uh, way to look at it. I've never actually solely studied the quarterbacks that you're facing. What I do over at Sharp Football Stats, which is my free use stats website, is I do break things down from both a uh, sports betting slash Vegas perspective in terms of overall strength of schedule and also for fantasy purposes and just general understanding of the game purposes. I break out uh, the quality of your opposing offense, quality of your opposing defense, and then within that, there's a number of factors that I'm looking at. So we can rake things on, you know, ease of pass offense, ease of pass defense, rush offense, rush defenses that you will face this upcoming year, and even further, uh, deep passing, uh, pass pressure, all those different types of factors. So I do look at, um, you know, in terms of ease of opposing uh, passing offenses. So, for instance, if we're looking at just the opponent passing offenses that a team will face, in other words, that quarterback that they'll face, the teams that face the most difficult passing offenses, at least from what they were to close the season in 2017, are the Carolina Panthers, the Arizona Cardinals, and the New Orleans Saints. Those three teams will face the most difficult passing offenses, a.k.a. quarterbacks, generally speaking, um, from last year. And the teams that face the three easiest schedules of opposing quarterbacks from last year, the full 17 weeks, are the Jets, the Houston Texans, and the New England Patriots. So two of those three teams, the Patriots and the Jets, we just mentioned in the prior discussion about ease of schedule the first eight weeks. Uh, but you throw in the Houston Texans there as well. I will definitely tell you, though, I have a drum to beat against the traditional strength of schedule, what everybody saw on TV last night on any of the shows where they were rolling out the schedule, and they were talking about opposing win percentage from 2017. I've done a lot of work on this, trying to get this more uh, attention nationally, but looking at 2017 win percentage and then factoring that into who you play in 2018 has absolutely no correlation. If you run a regression analysis and you look at the R-squared factor, you look at the p-value, There's absolutely, there, neither is appropriate or acceptable enough to actually use that for the purposes of thinking you're going to have a better understanding as the strength of schedule. Number one, the 2017 records, uh, those, those records are, at the end of the day, Jeff, we know, like, you played, but those records, I don't believe the Bill Parcells is in those, you are what your record says you are. You are what your metrics and your stats say you are for the most part, and some of that carries over, but your record base, is based a lot on turnover margin, you know, uh, luck at the end, missed field goals. Right. There's a lot of different things that play into that record, so I don't like to buy into that narrative. Turning our focus to the upcoming draft, and we talked last night about having you on. You mentioned that you have a lot of information about taking a running back early in the draft. I am strongly against taking a running back um, early in the draft. I don't think it helps your team at all. I think the value is very low. Where do you stand with that? Yeah, right on board with that. The main reason is because in the 2018 football year, including the last few years as well, all the way back to like 2010, when, if you remember, during the middle of the 2010 season, you were obviously playing then, they changed the hit rules 
during the middle of the season, right? They came out, they started uh, threatening to suspend guys who hit players, especially over the middle of the field. They gave quarterbacks more protection in the pocket. And at that point, we definitely saw an increase from like 2011 onward of passing efficiency and the way that that wins games for you. The, the correlation between passing towards winning games versus rushing to winning games changed dramatically at that point in time. And it's much easier to win games if you're passing the ball than it is when you're running the football. So uh, for that reason alone, it doesn't make a lot of sense to devote as much of your arsenal to drafting a running back early you know, in, the, in the draft. But in addition, we've got these 2018 rule changes, right, where we're uh, making the uh, catch rule more relaxed, and we're also threatening to throw penalties or even toss guys out of the game if they lower their helmet and run into another player. Well, that's what running backs do every single time they're carrying the football. So while I don't think they're going to be tossing running backs out left and right of the games, uh, because that's not good for football either, uh, there's uh, going to be uh, just a question marks about how much that's going to play a factor in things. And wide receivers, when you throw the ball in these short passes, I think there's going to be a lot more efficiency over the middle of the field this upcoming year. It's going to be an edge because you're going to have more catches over that area of the field. It's already the weakest uh, spot on the field to defend. So I think the most valuable pieces are going to be the quarterback, the offensive line, and then defenders who can defend that short middle of the field because I think the offense needs to be attacking it more often. So it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially with we got, we've got the 50-year option. Uh, we've got the ability to add uh, an extra year to a guy's contract. Of course, you have to pay a little bit more than you did over the rookie deal. But it makes a whole lot more sense to put a quarterback in that position or another key player who's going to really make a difference than it does a running back. So I, I'm definitely against the notion, as good as he could be Saquon Barkley of drafting him like we're hearing out of the Giants camp right now as number two overall. I just think that that's the spot that they need to be going for a quarterback given Eli Manning's age um, and the use that it's going to have on improving a team in the next couple to three years. You had a fantastic Twitter thread earlier this year. I, it was probably what, a month and a half ago about the Colts and, and their tendency to run the ball in certain situations, even though they're very good at running the football. Um, why do you think teams don't either use this data, have this data? Because uh, it's fairly obvious. If you track what teams do, you can pick up tendencies. And, 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 and the Colts, for example, just went against every you – know, well, they, they went to their tendency but didn't help their football team. Why do you think that teams haven't adapted to some of this advanced analytics? Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the Colts – they actually led entering the fourth quarter. Nobody thinks about this because they didn't have Andrew Luck. In nine games, nine out of 16 games last year, they led entering the fourth quarter, but they won only four games. They're the only team in the last 20 years to hold the lead entering the fourth quarter in at least nine, but win no more than four. Um, and in the first 11 games, they led in eight of them. The only two teams that led in more than eight entering the fourth quarter were the two teams that met in the Super Bowl, the Eagles and the Patriots. So they actually played really well over the first three quarters. But then, as you mentioned, they had these horrible tendencies. They got into these patterns of uh, just playing bad football by being too predictable, not going to the, their biggest strengths 
and allowing themselves to just be in obvious, obvious situations where if they have less than three wide receivers on the field, they're going 100% run. Um, and obviously that's a huge tell to a defense. Uh, in terms of why teams aren't incorporating it more, the for specifically for the Colts, I think they just had no idea. I don't think that they were tracking um, their play calling based upon personnel grouping, their play efficiency based upon personnel grouping. Well, they're supposed like to. Doing they, that they're supposed to. <laughs> like I, I've been in yeah. places where they do that. Like I, I just it right. makes no and, sense why they don't. <laughs> no, and and you're right. There are certain teams, and and I think the whole league should be doing that. They should be tracking, uh, doing self scouting, and then scouting for opponent tendencies utilizing something as basic as personnel grouping, right? Because that's the very first thing that a defense can get a clue on. But well before you even line up at the line of scrimmage, go in motion, anything like that, you know how many wide receivers, running backs, and tight ends you've got on the field. So um, if you're using uh, too much tendency based upon just the personnel that you have on the field, that's a massive, massive problem. But I do a lot of metrics where I look at all these different things and run analyses like that, and there are teams – um, I think, you know, at certain points during the season, they just get into uh, patterns or they get into uh, when, when they're not, when things aren't going so well. They just, those tendencies get overlooked at times. Um, and I think they should, they should be focusing on it more. Uh, but I think that for whatever reason, um, distractions or injuries or otherwise, they just don't focus on it enough. And it's absolutely something very important that every single team should be looking at. All right, Warren, we got about 30 seconds left, but I want to ask you this question really quick. Which position to you is, is the most undervalued in the NFL? Well, I think it's going to be this upcoming season, especially that, that short area, middle of the field receiver. Whether it's a slot receiver, uh, I think the, the throwing the ball to a receiving running back um, and also utilizing the tight ends. Those guys who could create mismatches over the short middle of the field, I think, are extremely undervalued. And the defenders who can guard them, um, you know, the, the players who are multiple who can defend those uh, positions very well, such as safeties and that sort of thing, that's, those players, are, in my opinion, are extremely undervalued. I have high value on offensive line and quarterback play and pass rushers. All those guys I don't think are going to be overvalued, uh, sorry, undervalued, but those other players I think extremely undervalued. SharpFootballStats.com and SharpFootballAnalysis.com is where you want to go. You can follow him on Twitter at SharpFootball. Warren Sharp has been our guest here on Outkick the Coverage. Warren, really appreciate you joining us this morning and hope to catch up with you again soon. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. That dude is really smart. Like, we have that Make You Smarter segment on this show, and it's usually out of the box. That was well in the sports box, but we learned a whole lot from Warren Sharp there. His Twitter account, at Sharp Football, to me, and I think Jeff would back this up, a total must-follow. Another must-follow, our guy, Eddie Garcia. Eddie, what's up? All right, guys, let's get you caught up on last night's playoff action. First in the NBA, Warriors beat the Spurs in San Antonio 110-97. Kevin Durant, 26 points to help Golden State get a 3-0 series lead. Durant did suffer an ankle injury late. He says he'll be ready for Game 4. Sixers beat the Heat in Miami 128-108. Joel Embiid back from a facial fracture at 23 points lead the team. As they grab a 2-1 series advantage. That was Embiid's first career playoff game. Pelicans top the Trailblazers 119-102. New Orleans with a 3-0 series lead. The sixth seed is now one win away from sweeping 
the three seed in the West. NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Bruins beat the Maple Leafs 3-1. Boston with a 3-1 series lead. Capitals over the Blue Jackets in Columbus 4-1. Washington's even that series at 2-2. This report's brought to you by TrueCar. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore. With True Price from TrueCar, now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And guys, one note from the NFL. The New York Giants released veteran wide receiver Brandon Marshall. They say he failed a physical. He played only five games with him due to injury. GM Dave Gettleman was asked whether this move meant the Giants might be interested in Cowboys wide receiver Des Bryant. Gettleman said, quote, we are interested in everybody, end quote. Appreciate it, Eddie. That's a real vague pre-draft quote right there oh, for sure. <laughs> NFL, NFL GMs are just unbelievable. The most paranoid people of all time. Unbelievable. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Again, follow Warren Sharp at Sharp Football. He will definitely make you smarter when it comes to NFL pigskin. That guy was dropping some math terms in that last segment that were really concerning me. I thought I was going to have to like pull out some Tums or something to handle just all of the analytics that he was <laughs> dropping on us. We didn't even get to the Browns question. On the other side, I am going to drop a list of futility on you unlike anything you've ever heard in sports. And then maybe this radical or potentially radical discussion that Kevin Clark wrote about in The Ringer yesterday in an excellent piece about the Browns potentially drafting two quarterbacks, which you know what? The first time I heard it mentioned... It was mentioned on this show, and it was mentioned by Danny G out in L.A. He suggested it. We'll let him talk about it next. We will discuss it. Should the Browns draft two to try and find one? This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Starting in 1993, Bernie Kosar, that was his last season with the Cleveland Browns. Vinny Testaverde played six games that year, and then something called Todd Philcox played three games for the Browns that season. Then Testaverde and Mark Rippon, then Testaverde and Eric Zier, and then they suspended operations until 1998. Now I'm just going to read this, and I'm going to read it as quickly as possible, and I'm going to read names more than once because I'm going to read it in order of year without mentioning the year, and I'm going to try and micro-machines through this thing over the next two minutes, and then we're going to carry it over and talk about it to open the third hour of the show in addition to the NBA playoffs. Glad to have you with us here on a Friday. 1999 begins. Tim Couch, Ty Detmer, Doug Peterson, Tim Couch, Spurgon Wynn, Tim Couch, Tim Couch, Kelly Holcomb, Kelly Holcomb, Tim Couch, Jeff Garcia, Kelly Holcomb, Luke McCown, Trent Dilfer, Charlie Fry, Charlie Fry, Derek Anderson, Derek Anderson, Charlie Fry, Derek Anderson, Brady Quinn, Ken Dorsey, Bruce Gradkowski, Brady Quinn, Derek Anderson, Colt McCoy, Jake DeLome, Seneca Wallace, Colt McCoy, Seneca Wallace, Brandon Whedon, Thad Lewis, Jason Campbell, Brandon Whedon, Brian Hoyer, Brian Hoyer, Johnny Manziel, Connor Shaw, Josh McCown, Johnny Manziel, Austin Davis, Robert Griffin III, Josh McCown, Cody Kessler, Deshaun Kaiser, Kevin Hogan. That's the quarterbacks that have started games in this league since 1999 for the Cleveland Browns. Jeff, that's a lot of names. Quantity is not quality. No, I mean Joe Thomas was there eleven years and played what twenty different quarterbacks. Um, no, it doesn't. It, it actually often means that they're not good quality. And look, they brought in players they thought were obviously going to be the future. Whether it's Tim Couch or, or you know Derek Anderson, actually had the best season. My favorite Brown stat, by the way, of of all time, um, and you might know the answer to this is who's the winningest quarterback in their stadium. Oh, I actually do know the answer. Do you want me to spoil this, or do you want me to let you give the answer? No, go ahead. The answer's Ben answer. Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger, yes. 
That's sad. <laughs> like he's like seventeen and he's like fifteen and two or something. Another crazy number. another incredible um, stat, and then we'll carry the, we'll, we'll carry this discussion over the next hour. Another incredible Brown stat is Joe Thomas in his entire career never went one and zero. He never started the he, season with a win. He was always. He won 11, he won eleven games in, in I mean, forty nine games in eleven years. Yeah, that's not that's not good. That reminds me of the Portland Trailblazers. At least it does right now. We'll continue to talk NFL playoffs and more on the Browns' quarterback situation next on Outkick. Final hour of the Outkick week. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. Plays in New York City. He's back on Monday. I'm Jason Martin at Outkick, joined by at G-E-O-F-F Schwartz. He played on the offensive line for the Panthers, Vikings, Chiefs, and Giants. The Chiefs with no pick in the first round of the NFL draft after trading 22 to Buffalo. So they'll pick at 54. The Giants with the second pick. We'll probably discuss that here in this segment. The Vikings, the 30th. The Panthers, the 24th. And the Sixers get it done last night. Last night we let off the show talking about Joel Embiid coming back after missing... 10 games, 23-7-4-3 was his stat line last night. 10 of 15 from the free throw line, 3 for 4 from beyond the arc. Guy's a stud, guy's a star, he's got charisma for miles, everything that you want. The process seems to be working, at least right now in Philadelphia, when you match him with Ben Simmons. And remember the knock of Bill Sim- Ben Simmons coming out of LSU was that he couldn't shoot. Pretty sure Bill Simmons couldn't shoot either when he was coming out of LSU, but... Ben Simmons doesn't need to shoot. He's just getting layups. He can get to the rim at will. Yeah. If he develops a jump shot, look out. Yeah, I mean, eventually you develop a jump shot as your career continues. But right now he doesn't have to do that. He's quicker than everyone else. Uh, he's bigger than the, the guys he's playing against. And, you, and you're right, he can get to the basket at will. Look, the Heat you know, we're, gave him a little bit of pressure and a little bit of defense in Game 2. He adjusted in, in Game 3. And the Sixers are just fun to watch, man. They, they have so much energy. They're young. They're athletic. Um, they they don't look intimidated ever, which is I think no. is fantastic. Um, and if they can add themselves one player this offseason, look, it could be LeBron, it could be someone else, but they have room to add a max contract veteran. Um, they could be the team of the future, along with Boston, um, in the East. Because I think the Cavs, I think we we, we realize their their future's done. And, you know, maybe LeBron goes to Philly, maybe they add another max player. Um, but the Sixers, the process, well, been tough, right? They drafted a lot of players that, that got hurt and ended up being traded. By the way, speaking about that, Simmons should not be rookie of the year. He's in his second season. I don't understand that rule. <laughs> I don't even want he's to get in into second, that. I mean, we got guys he's wearing in hoodies. Second, he's, he's in his second season. That's not. He's not a rookie anymore. He's got a red shirt. Unfortunately, he was hurt last year, but that's his rookie season. So you think it should be Donovan Mitchell, obviously? Yes, who's an actual rookie? Who, if, if you look next to a name, it says it says rookie or first year. Simmons says second year. Well, we'll see. I did mean, he get I, paid for last? Did he get paid for last year in the in the in the NBA or not? I don't. I mean, I don't know. I haven't asked him yet. Yes, he got. Yes, he got paid. Last I would assume year. he did. Of course he did. But he yes, was a so red shirt. I mean, he didn't rookie. play. So that it's a rookie of the year, not red shirt rookie of the year. He was in the NBA last year. Unfortunately, he was hurt. So now the the, the award should go to someone else who actually is a rookie. I mean, there's the argument against giving it to him because he was around. He's around the team. He was around the practices. He was sort of around the culture, so he's not really a rookie because he was able to sit back and watch for a year 
and then he's comes into the game. It's like it's like giving Aaron Rodgers the rookie of the year when he first started in Green Bay, even though we didn't see him for a couple of years, but he was there learning from Brett Favre the whole time. That's the argument against Ben Simmons. The argument against him is it says second year next to his name, not first year. That's that's the end of the the end of the discussion right there. It's, it says second year next to his name, not first year. He's not a rookie. I'm gonna that's let that one argument. go. Like, like, like I don't understand. That's the end of the argument. There's no other argument to be made. I don't. The NBA. I, I've been. Um, I think they're gonna change this rule after the season because of the outrage. Not yeah, outrage. Yeah, Ben but Simmons wins just, rookie of the year. I think they're gonna change it. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna win. Are the Browns gonna, gonna win games at all? Are the Browns going to win games at all? That's no, the question. This is, Kevin, go ahead. Huh. We'll, we'll find yeah. out. I, don't, I hope they win. Yeah, that's a real good question. Kevin Clark of The Ringer wrote this yesterday, and we've talked about it on this show for a couple of months now. There is a possibility, and there are discussions being had, at least within the facility, that the Browns could draft two quarterbacks, potentially even at one and four. I read the list at the end of last hour, the list of futility to end all futility. When you look at the quality or lack thereof at the quarterback position for the Cleveland Browns, and let's not forget this, the fourth pick came from Houston because they passed on Deshaun Watson. The 64th pick, which they acquired, came as part of trading out of number two a few years ago, thereby passing on Carson Wentz. Not only have they missed on quarterbacks, but the times that they've passed have almost all seemingly come back to bite them. As well, the first guy that I heard made this dual quarterback drafting argument was our wonderful producer out in LA, Danny G. And I'm going to bring him into the discussion now and let him lay out this case once again. I think Clay then began to agree with you as well. You started making a lot of sense, Danny. It's a rarity for somebody out in Los Angeles, but you started making sense. So lay out this case why you think this is a good idea for Hugh Jackson and the Browns. First of all, screw you, Mellon. We have lots of good ideas here in LA, unless we don't. Um, look, they Saquon Barkley could be a game changer, but they have a, a pretty good running game already. Uh, I know this in anyone who else who plays fantasy football. Isaiah Crowell, I mean, he's he's not uh, you know a world beater, but for two seasons in a row, he's almost gained a thousand yards. He's just a season removed from uh, seven touchdowns in a season, and they added Carlos Hyde and gave him a rich contract. So they're they're pretty set. At running back, and then there are other needs. They desperately needed to reshuffle their uh, their DBs. They snaked the Raiders' TJ Carey, which I know him well. He was the Raiders' best defensive back. They um, got the Chiefs' Terrence Mitchell and the Packers' uh, Demarius Randall in free agency. So they're set there. I would say their only other glaring need in the draft is O line to, of course, replace Joe Thomas. But other than that, you signed Ty- Tyrod Taylor. Uh, and one, and you added one of the best wide receivers in Jarvis Landry. So you can take a chance, if you're the Browns, to finally not screw up signing a quarterback. They're famous, the Browns are, for screwing up their draft selections. Okay, get two of the top four quarterbacks. You do two things. You guarantee that one of those is going to hit. The other guy, if you keep developing him and have him as your third string, you can trade him away. So you're still in a good position, and you could go uh, with your your next, your third pick as the Browns, go get your O-line help. So the Browns are ridiculous if they do not do this because this, this I think, is the only way they can not screw up taking the wrong quarterback. One thing, and then I'll ask, I'll bring you in, Jeff, as well. Here is if you're taking quarterbacks at one and four, and I'm on record saying I think Sam Darnold's a stud. I loved him in college, despite what we saw last year. I think he's going to be great in the NFL. But if you feel the need and you're having discussions about drafting two quarterbacks, 
that would seem to me to mean that you don't necessarily believe in any of the quarterbacks. So you want to hedge your bets, give yourself a better chance. We saw what happened with RG3 and Kirk Cousins in Washington, but Kirk Cousins was a fourth-round pick. It wasn't like they were taking him at one and four. You were leveraging one of the top five picks in the draft, at least in the short term, trying to find a quarterback. But the other side of that argument is, and we discussed it when we were kind of briefly discussing the schedule, there will be shows all day that will break down all these various games. We're not going to do that because it's nonsense in April to do that. There's Yes, I agree. There's, there's absolutely no reason to do that at all. But if you are looking at the schedule, Jeff, you made, it, you made that point yesterday on Twitter, and I couldn't agree more, that you look at the quarterbacks that you're playing, and that determines how well you're possibly going to do or at least how difficult your schedule appears to be on paper you've got to have a quarterback to win this league you've got to have a quarterback to make it to the playoffs do you believe first off do you believe Hugh Jackson when he says whoever comes in is sitting behind Tyrod all year do you believe Tyrod Taylor or do you believe in Tyrod Taylor as a passer you go and get Jarvis Landry that's another nice piece but who's going to throw him the football Tyrod Taylor's a pretty solid football player he's a gamer But I don't know that as a passer, that's your future. So I don't know that Hugh Jackson can afford to keep the guy on the bench when we get to October and the Browns aren't winning games and there's clamoring for your number one pick or your number four pick or now potentially your number one and your number four pick still both sitting on the bench. If you draft two quarterbacks, one of those guys has got to play this year. But but what do you think about the argument that if you're drafting two to get one, that means that you're not in love with one? Well, I don't. I don't know if I if I if that's the reason why I wouldn't I wouldn't draft uh, two. I understand the thought process, right? You want to end up with the best quarterback, and it gives you more options if you draft two guys. First, let's start with Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor is there as a bridge. I think we all understand that he does not have a contract extension. They could have obviously signed him to that deal. He got the Bills to the playoffs last year, um, but the Bills. We're just we're not very good. I mean, if you look at all their stats, they they were the worst playoff team statistically in a lot of measures. Um, and, and and the staff there thought so highly of Tyrod Taylor, they benched him in the middle of a playoff run for a rookie who threw five interceptions in the first half of a game. Right? I mean, that's how that's how much they valued Tyrod Taylor. Uh, that they had tried everything they could do to not have him play in the middle of a playoff run. Um, and look, I think Tyrod Taylor deserves a little bit better than, than he gets. I, some people have gone overboard with with trying to make him out to be a quarterback that he is not. Um, and he is there to be a bridge, plain and simple. Whether it's a one-year bridge, or whether it's a seven games, three games, four games. Look, last year, Mr. Trubisky wasn't going to play at all. Right, Boom, he got in game three. Right, We always say this. The only team last year that, that stuck to that was Kansas City and Pat Mahomes, and he played week 17 because they made the playoffs. They were set, and they, they rested Alex Smith. Here's why it's not practical to, to draft two quarterbacks, is because... You need reps as a quarterback. You need reps for any position, but as a rookie quarterback, you need as many reps as you can get. So you draft two young quarterbacks at one and four, pair with Tyrod Taylor, who's going to start the season. How do you get guys reps? How do you compete um, as those top two quarterbacks taken? taking second and third team reps, which are less than first team reps. Um, I would draft one quarterback, Sam Darnold at one, um, or you could go Josh Rosen, one of those two, um, and Put him in there as a second stringer. You give him all the reps he can handle. You throw him in there with the ones a little bit. And you give him as much help, reps, practice reps, 
game planning, all these things to help him be a better football player. You do that for one quarterback. You do that for two. You split everything in half, and neither guy gets a fair shot at the competition. How do you split up preseason reps? Do you does one guy get the second quarter? Does one guy get the third quarter? Do the twos then play with? With the you know with both quarterbacks, do the ones have to play longer because you need to get a rep with this quarterback with that quarterback? You see what I mean? It's 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 logistically a nightmare to get them a fair competition at being a quarterback. Um, and also, like you said, I think I think that if you draft two, it doesn't it doesn't mean you don't love the the the, the first one. I mean, it sort of does. Um, but again, it, it's just shows that you're not confident in, in any of the quarterbacks that you have. And I think the Browns would draft Sam Darnold at one. I, I don't think they're going to. It seems to be it's going to be Josh Allen. I mean, look. Yeah, this, wait, wait, the, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let, me cut, let me cut you off real quick about Josh Allen because I think we all, I don't know if the guys at LA will bring them in too, but I know Clay said this, I said this from the very beginning, and I think you've said this as well. Josh Allen screams bust to me. And certainly I'm rooting for him. I root for anybody who gets in the league. I hope he's I hope he's the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. But there is nothing in what I've seen from him at Wyoming. I don't care how fast he can throw. I don't care how long he can throw. If you can't hit him between the numbers, it doesn't matter. If you can't throw him over the shoulder 15 yards down the field, it doesn't matter. Josh Allen, to me, screams a lot of the tape that people are wowed with with Josh Allen is similar to Jamarcus Russell throwing on his knees in shorts and beating Notre Dame in one bowl game and going number one overall to the Raiders. He reminds me of Jake Walker. That's who he reminds me of. Um, and mm. no? But Jeff, if you get your quarterback, okay, number one, Saquon Barkley is most likely going to come off the board to the Giants, right? Uh, no, it depends on what quarterback that- the Browns take. If the Browns take Josh Allen at one, the Giants will sprint to, to take Darnold. sprint up to yeah. take Sam Darnold. Like that, that's the quarterback. So the, the, the word I've got is that that's the guy they love. They don't um, like Rosen. And, right? So then, for some do, reason do they don't, don't want Rosen. Like Rosen. Do you think Saquon right. would be there at four then? Who cares? It's a, like it's a running. I don't. I, I don't care. Like I don't. I don't Wait a second. If you're not, the Browns, do you not take him at four? If you take your quarterback at one, I think it depends on. What do you take, Bradley Chubb? On, on yeah, I think I, I personally with their run game and the personnel they have already there back next year, they ran the ball fine last year. I would take Chubb at four and have Miles Garrett and Chubb be your two defensive ends for years to come. You would get more out of those two guys being paired together on that defense, which was really good against the run last year, and Chubb will help against the pass as those guys get older in the back end. Um, those two guys plus Sam Darnold. At quarterback, that's better for your team long term than Sam Darnold and, and Saquon Barkley. Well, that would mean Justin, and we'll bring you in as you're also a Broncos fan along with me. That would mean that potentially, if John Elway doesn't trade out of five, which he seems to be ready to do, that Saquon Barkley could technically come to Denver, which I'm not upset about if that were the way that would go. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure how I'd feel about that. I I well, know if the. <laughs> If the Broncos can get Josh Rosen, geez, I would I'd draft Josh Rosen. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I thought they were going to draft. I thought they were going to draft Mayfield, but it looks like the Jets are going to cut them off and try to get Mayfield. And maybe we're going to see Buffalo try to slide up in there and get a quarterback as well. I love Josh oh, Rosen as well, so I mean, you, I would be all for them grabbing a quarterback. Do Do you know who I think? And, and this has been talked about a little bit. And I I, I mentioned this a, a week or so ago, and it's getting more steam. And I'm not saying that I that I in any sort of sense broke this news or, or talk about this news. I think that if Josh Rosen slips past five, six mm-hmm. through ten don't need a quarterback, right. the Patriots will trade up for Josh Rosen. You know who would not like that? 
the star of Tom care. versus Time. <laughs> um, he didn't like it when I Jimmy think, G was there. How would he feel about Josh Rosen coming I, I in? I think that I if you if you watch the very end of that show, uh, I think he realizes the end is near, um, and I think he would be okay with it because he kind of saw last year. You know, he got a little slower. He had that that thumb injury, that freak injury. Um, I don't buy any of this nonsense that he's not going to play this year. But yeah, I think that's I think one of the dumbest non stories I've seen in a long time. Jeff. It, it like was, we didn't, we didn't, was, we didn't, we didn't give it a second of coverage on well, this because, show because, because we didn't buy look, it. I, look, because the article that came out said, in, even an article, it said the two sources said he's playing this year. Like it's just a ridiculous thing. It was just a thing to put out there to get to get people to click and yeah, and, to fill time and to fill time and and to fill time. And so and. And I think you could tell at the end of that Tom vs. Time, he kind of knows it's near, and maybe he won't admit it publicly. Um, and look, he's got a family now. I'm pretty sure Giselle is probably over it by now. <laughs> I know my wife at a certain point was over it, right? He's won his championships. He has the money. He has the, the glory. Um, like I said, his body, he's 40, man. Like You can do all the training you want to do. But eventually, your body is just done. Um, and you know, he had to wear a knee brace last year. I think he might have had two knee braces on. He just doesn't move the same. We saw him try to catch that pass. You know, younger Tom Brady catches that pass in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, he's out. His left tackle now. Um, you know, they, they have a right guard who's going to be a free agent. Who they're not going to pay. He has Gronk, who's talking about retiring. I think if you were to talk about who's more serious about it, I think Gronk is more serious. I don't think he'll retire, but. You know, you, you have defections on defense. They can't rush the passer. They're actually not that good of a team right now. Now, so that that would lead me to think as well that they might not trade up and use the the draft picks they have to to draft uh, more players to help Tom Brady, um, especially a left tackle at twenty three or or at thirty one, or draft another pass rusher or get a cornerback. I mean, they have a lot of needs to fill. I just think that Josh Rosen fits what they do what they do well there and he's cerebral enough to not bother the coaches because obviously Tom Brady's that way and that doesn't bother coaching staff there. And if you're Josh McDaniels who will eventually be the head coach, I think you would fight to try to get a guy like Josh Rosen instead of, you know, there's talk maybe Luke Falk or or Mason Rudolph or, or, or Mike White, you know, one of these lower not lower tiers the wrong way to say it, but second tier of quarterbacks that that New England might go after those guys. They're going to draft a quarterback in the first or second round. I have I have, I have no doubt um, about that. It could be trading up for Rosen. It could be Lamar Jackson if he slips to 31 um, or, or 23 as well. I just think Josh Rosen fits perfectly there. And if Josh Rosen were to fall, just like Deshaun Watson fell last year, he might end up in the best situation of any of these quarterbacks to go to a team like New England or go to a team like Buffalo, who played well last year without any talent. And they're building that roster up slowly. I know Buffalo doesn't sound like a sexy place to play, but with Tom Brady's out of New England soon, Miami has really no quarterback situation. The Jets have Baker Mayfield in New York City, which could go poorly. Um, Josh Rosen in Buffalo could be something really good. You know, time will tell. We're going to have Casey Smith at the bottom of the hour, and we'll, of course, talk to her about Tom Brady as she's up there in Boston with Barstool. But we have not had the phones open today. We'll open them now at 615 uh, at, uh, me at 877-99 on Fox, 877-99 on Fox, 996-6369 if you want to chime in before we have Casey on. If you're the Browns, do you take two quarterbacks? And we will actually tell you whether we think they will do it now that we've laid out cases both for and against. 877-99 on Fox plus Casey Smith coming up. I'll kick the coverage. Fox Sports Radio. You're an idiot if you draft Saquon Barkley. That's a direct quote from Jeff Schwartz. Not really. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax <laughs> refund? Tax layer was highest rated for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. 
max a refund at taxlayer.com. Clay Travis back on Monday. I think. I'm not positive, but I think he's seeing Hamilton for the first time this weekend. I'm sure if he did, uh, we'll talk about it for like an hour and a half on Monday. Do, so you do, can have that like to look not, forward to. Is one of those things where like you guys talk so much during the week that like if he's gone for the weekend, you'll you just like won't even ask him if he's seeing Hamilton because you're just like I've talked to him all week. I'm just gonna take a break. He's better in doses. Um, he's also better when I'm on vacation and just am not talking to him at all. But I mean, we talked we talked yesterday right after the show, and uh, basically was just like, "Hey, do you need anything for me?" I'm like, "No, I got it." And we made sure that we had everything set for today, and waved goodbye. And he left the studio and hopped in his car and went to the airport. And I knew at that point we would talk on Monday morning. <laughs> like that's that's how no, that's going to go. I mean. I mean, that's a good thing in relationships. Like sometimes when I go out of town or my wife goes out of town, it's nice to like take a break for a second. It's the same as a, as a relationship. You two, you little lovebirds. Uh, that's Jeff Schwartz at G-E-O-F-F <laughs> Schwartz on the tweets. I'm at J-Mart Outkick, Jason Martin. Uh, our telephone number is 877 on Fox. We've been discussing, at least off the top of the hour, whether or not the Cleveland Browns might try to go for two quarterbacks, maybe even at one and four Kevin Clark of the Ringer wrote an excellent piece about that situation yesterday. Let's go to Darren out in Virginia. We're going to have Casey Smith here in a couple of minutes as well. But Darren, how are you? Doing pretty good, Jason. How y'all doing today? Doing good, sir. All right, quick question. Uh, when the Redskins took RG3 in the first round, Kirk Cousins in the fourth round, who did they pass up in the first round that would have helped their team more than that, that taking RG3? Jeff, do you have an answer to that question? I, I don't know. That was 2012. Who who was it? What? I have no idea. But what I'm wait, saying you, is you, the Browns should not take take two quarterbacks. Because they should do what but, then, in your opinion? The, the, in my opinion, they shouldn't take a quarterback at all. They should take the two best players that have helped their team this year. This is this, this got, makes Tyrod dude, this, the difference between Tyrod Taylor and Carson Wentz. Both team, both of them led their teams to the playoffs last year. All right, so did Tim it, Tebow. Darren. So 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 should Tebow be the quarterback of the Browns? The Browns have not had a quarterback for twenty years now. They're in the position oh, to draft number one. Jeff. They're in the position to draft number one right now because they are god awful at quarterback. They were thirty second in passing last year. They were tenth in rushing. They do not need anybody but a quarterback at one. It's absolutely crazy that anyone who has watched football would suggest at all that Browns do not need a quarterback. It's the most important position in all sports. The Browns need a quarterback at one. If they draft anyone else at one, that they can be three and thirteen again next year. It's unbelievably crazy to me that you can watch or be an NFL fan and look at the Browns and say, you know what? They're, they're they're running back away from 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 making the playoffs. Jeff, you're they're wrong. Quarter, they need a quarterback. Jeff, you know who the Redskins passed up on? Who? They, they shouldn't have taken RG three. They should have taken Trent Richardson, who, who went next. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's Trent Richardson. So I don't think I told I don't think I told this on the air. But when we were at the national championship game this year down in Atlanta. Uh, I was trying to get a car afterwards. Clay had already left, and I had to do some other work for Fox afterwards in the locker room. And so I'm out there trying to get a car, trying to get an Uber, and everything's blocked off. And it takes me like an hour and a half to get my car. And I'm feeling forlorn, and I'm just like, man, this shows just how little power I actually have in this world that I'm standing out here in this cold rain, actually almost like snow and ice that night trying to get a car. And I looked to my right and standing there, and it took me about five seconds to, to really realize it, standing there also unable to get a car was Trent Richardson. 
It was just he and I standing on the side of the road outside the Mercedes-Benz Stadium trying to get Ubers. And at that point, I was just like, man, that dude could have been something in the NFL, and it just did not happen for him at all, did it? Too big. Just, he just wasn't, wasn't mobile enough. He was a big, big guy, but just wasn't able to move well enough for running back. I will throw this out there based on what you were talking about. Anybody watching football would know that the Browns have to draft a quarterback at one. Is it possible Darren in Virginia has never watched NFL football before? Because you do I just have think to draft a get, quarterback I just think, at one. I just think, I just think people Don't get enamored this. with... I think people get enamored with Saquon Barkley's combine numbers, and it sounds great. He looks good, but watch his film and watch and compare with Adrian Peterson's film from college, and you'll see why one guy is a surefire Hall of Famer, and one guy could be. You know, I'm not saying Barkley's not good, but. They're different styles of runner. Barkley is a guy who's not a physical runner. He runs around guys. You eventually lose that as a running back. Um, and in the NFL, guys are fast. You're not going to be able to run around everyone in the NFL. All right. So I think that that there is a little bit of concern that Barkley will not put up the same production. Now, Barkley's ability to catch the ball in the backfield is a big plus because we've seen with Le'Veon Bell, with David Johnson, we'll be back this year with Kareem Hunt and Kamara, right? All these guys that can they can do as, as basically be a dual threat running back. That has a lot of purpose in 2018 NFL. But if you don't have a quarterback, drafting a running back makes zero sense for your franchise. It will set your franchise back many years if you miss on a quarterback. Look, if the Browns draft someone at one, let's say they draft Darnold at one, he does not pan out. So be it. You try to make your team better with a quarterback. If you draft Saquon Barkley, he's good for four or five years. And by the way, his fifth year option will be between fifteen and eighteen million dollars for running back. Absolutely crazy. Um, and he's not leading you to the Super Bowl. He's not leading you to the playoffs. A quarterback will lead you to both. Of Joe Thomas said last year, and I believe him. I've talked to him about this personally. If the Browns had a quarterback last year, they would have won between six and eight games, and I totally believe that they were a good team. They, they're a very talented team. Um, coaching, I don't. We'll see if you can coach up a quarterback for once. Um, but they have a good GM now, a good front office. They need a quarterback. We'll talk to Casey Smith here on the other side, and just the embarrassment of riches that's going on in Boston sports right now for some reason. But first, let's bring in Eddie Garcia. Find out what happened last night in the world of sports. What's the latest, Eddie? Well, let's get you updated on the playoffs last night. First, in the NBA, Warriors beat the Spurs one ten to ninety seven. Kevin Durant twenty six points for Golden State as they grab the three zero series lead. Durant did suffer an ankle injury late in this one, but walked off under his own power. Says he'll be ready for game number four. Seventy Sixers beat the Heat in Miami one twenty eight to one hundred eight. Joel Embiid back from his facial fracture had 23 points in his first career playoff game. He helped Philadelphia grab a 2-1 series advantage. Pelicans over the Trailblazers 119-102. Nikola Miritich, 30 points for New Orleans. They've got a 3-0 series lead in that one. That's the sixth seed against the three seed. NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Bruins over the Maple Leafs 3-1. Boston with a 3-1 series lead. And the Capitals take care of the Blue Jackets 4-1. That series is tied at 2-2. This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing. Not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Guys, a couple of college football notes. Bleacher Report published a story about the possibility of Alabama quarterback Jalen Hurts leaving the Crimson Tide if he were to lose his starting job to national title hero Tua Tagovailoa. Hurts' father was quoted as saying his son would become the, quote, biggest free agent in college football history end quote, if you were decided to leave the program with two years of eligibility left. And also a note from college football this morning as Earl Bruce, former head coach at Ohio State, has passed away at the age of 87. 
Thank you, Eddie. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy all the uh, playoff games. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Clay is in New York, maybe or maybe not seeing Hamilton. We'll find out on Monday. Jeff Schwartz is with me. I'm Jason Martin. We're in for the rest of this hour. We welcome in Casey Smith, who comes in on Fridays with us every week. She now works for Barstool Sports. And right now, she is right there in an embarrassment of riches again. The Patriots are in the Super Bowl. They don't win it. But the Red Sox are somehow 16-2. and The Celtics, without Kyrie Irving, are playing really well. And we're seeing guys that we've never even heard of, or certainly ones we haven't heard of since college, like Rozier, playing like they should be all-stars right now. It's And the Bruins are up 3-1. to Casey, uh, you're in a very lucky spot right now. That's what I'll say. You know, I had this conversation on radio yesterday with Barstool because a lot of people are telling me that I'm a fake Boston fan because I grew up a Dallas fan. Now, look, (laughs) Dallas teams are 100% my teams because that's where I grew up. That's who I rooted with uh, my dad for on Sundays and everything else. But all Dallas teams stink right now. They absolutely stink. And I covered the Boston teams like you just mentioned. So I got emotionally attached to those teams when I was in Boston And if it was Dallas versus Boston, of course I'd pick Dallas. But I don't have to worry about that because they're not going to be in the postseason of anything right now. So following Boston teams is really fun, and you're absolutely right. I don't think the Celtics are going to make it very far in the playoffs without Kyrie Irving, but they're playing really good basketball. The Bruins are making a pretty good run at the Stanley Cup. And then, of course, the Patriots are always going to be in the storyline. And the Red Sox, there's still 162 games, though. I I can't get too excited about the Red Sox, but it's fun to watch. There's no doubt. Is it odd to think about Boston sports and, and think about the Bruins, the, the, the Celtics, the Red Sox, and the Patriots? And the Patriots are probably the franchise out of that four that's about to end their dynasty right now. Yeah, that, That's what a lot of people who have been around the Boston teams, like Tommy Kern, who's the, the beat writer for NBC Sports Boston, he's been talking about that since even last offseason. And the way he put it was that it's a kind of strange feeling like everybody's going to grab their coats at the end of the party. Like it's not 100% over but it could be. But, I mean, Tom Brady's over 40 years old. I don't know if you guys have heard that before. We, we don't talk about it enough, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but Tom Brady's over 40. But you do get that feeling that you look at the Red Sox team and how young they are, the Celtics, and definitely how young they are, and then the Bruins as well. And then you look at the Patriots, and, of course, they do have young talent, but the main pieces of that dynasty and of that franchise are closer to the end of their career. So you just look at it on paper that way. It already is that way. And then you look at the feeling around the Patriots right now with all the Gronk stuff and Tom Brady and Alex Guerrero, Bill Belichick and all those things. And it, it just makes sense that this could be the last couple of years, if that, with all of these pieces in place. I think there's no way that Tom Brady retires this year. I think you feel the the, the same way. But I feel like the end is, is closer for him than I think he wants to publicly admit. How do you think he'd feel if Josh Rosen were taken by the Patriots? I think that what Tom Brady wants and probably what his wife wants are going to be two completely different things. So I think (laughs) like happy wife, happy life is what I've been told. So I think that if Tom Brady had his way, he'd play till 45 to however long he had to, but the Patriots are going to have to take somebody just like they did in 2014 with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now we saw how Tom Brady handled that. He basically played so well that it pushed Jimmy Garoppolo out to the 49ers. So if they drafted somebody like Josh Rosen or brought in somebody that was a legitimate backup plan, I think Tom Brady would say, look, like I'm still going to play the best to my ability, and he'll probably will continue to do that as long as he can. 
But there are other factors out there. I don't think that he's going to retire completely just because he's ready to walk away. There's going to be some other reason, whether it's his age finally catches up to him or it's a family decision or whatever else. But Tom Brady's not going to hang it up just because some kid comes in and takes his, his, his spot. Like, that's just never going to happen. Casey Smith, our guest here on OutKick. Casey, who retires first, Brady or Gronk? I think it's going to be Gronk, and that's a crazy thing for me to think. I just Right now, the way that Tom Brady played last year, and I know it wasn't perfect, and I know he got injured uh, and all of those things, the way he's playing, though, and how determined he is to not retire on top, I think that he wants to keep playing until he's 50 years old. That's not possible, I don't believe. But Gronk seems to be ready to go into the next phase, and I don't blame him. If that's what he wants to do and he believes his brand can carry him in entertainment, then fine. I feel like he is more checked out of it than Brady, at least from what I hear. Now, I have no idea if that's true, but from the outward looking in, it does seem like like Gronk sees more of a future outside of football than Tom Brady does, and it's crazy because there's you know 12 years in between them. But I would say if I had to put money on it, I'd put Gronk. Let's go back to your to, to your Texas roots here. Johnny Menzel has is, is played his two games in the Spring League. I think there's no shot of him coming back to NFL as much as he wants to. Yesterday there was a report that he said he wants to play for the Patriots. I mean, don't we all want to play for the Patriots? What do you make of Johnny Manziel's comeback season? Well, I, I've talked to Johnny multiple times throughout the, the spring, and I've, I've kind of kept up with everything he's been doing just from a barstool standpoint as well. And the one thing that I can say, and I know I'm an Aggie, so people roll their eyes at me like, oh, you're just saying this because he went to A&M. But there is a true difference in the way he is approaching right now than even when he was in school and then when he was going into the NFL in 2014. Like, there is a – he knows that he did not handle it well the first time. He's admitted all of his mistakes. And that is great, and we'll see what happens. The biggest question for me, and I think probably for you guys too, is how is he actually going to translate in the NFL? We still have no idea. Because when he was in Cleveland, in the few seasons that he played, you still didn't get a sense of can the guy we saw win the Heisman – playing the style of football that he did at A&M, be a successful NFL quarterback. So if he does get a chance, that's the biggest question to me. It's not if he has his life together anymore. I think he's proved that. It's what kind of football player he can be. However, the the Patriots stuff, I have heard from people around the team that that actually could be a potential possibility. Uh, The rumors right now are that if Robert Kraft signs off on it, that that could potentially be something where they bring in Johnny Manziel, not to be Tom Brady's backup right away, but to bring him in could actually be a real thing. Now, take that for what it's worth. You know, I do work in Barstool offices, so there's a bunch of conversations going on all the time. But I don't think that's just a made-up thing. I think that could be a real possibility uh, if things start rolling for the Patriots. All right, we got about 30 seconds left or so. Did you see Jason Martin finally had his first stake? He went to Outback. He got a medium. He'll get medium rare next time. But I, I was so proud of Jason. Aren't you proud of him for finally getting a stake? I did not know this. I feel like this is groundbreaking stuff. Like, and going medium How long ago, first, Jason? Like, <laughs> is that enough, Casey? Is it all right that I went medium? Some people were upset I didn't go medium rare. The the, the uh, lady I was with, I let her make the call. I feel like that was a smart play on my part to make sure that, that I did what she asked me to do in that situation. I thought medium rare might be a little bit much for my first day. Very, very smart to go with what the lady says. Absolutely. And medium <laughs> for your first steak. Yeah, that's. I think that's great. I eat mine rare, but you have to work up to that. It's an acquired taste. That'd be weird if you just loved a rare steak right away. I think you did great. Yeah, yeah I'm not picking up a 50-pound dumbbell to start working out. I'm picking up a 10-pound <laughs> dumbbell because I don't want to break my arms. Casey, always a blast, and I know you're having a ton of fun at Barstool. It's so much different than a lot of your work, but we're enjoying it a lot. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much, guys. That's Casey Smith on the other side.
We will finish up the week, and how better to do it than a little bit of Animal Thunderdome. That plus LeBron James. Can he get it done tonight in a hostile environment in Indiana? That's all next. It's Outkick on Fox Sports Radio. I'm not saying, but we haven't heard a lot from Coop on this show. It is April 20th. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. Our thanks to Casey Smith, who just joined us, K-A-Y-C Smith on Twitter, also at Sharp Football Warren Sharp. Definitely follow him as his analytics are about as good as it gets, and he breaks them down in a way that you can actually understand. I'm Jason Martin, in with Jeff Schwartz. Clay's back on Monday. Another thing you can always understand, it's the Animal Thunderdome. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I had a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. Danny, I'm not sure how we haven't gotten to this story before. We both have seen it, but I'm going to let you talk about it. A python orgy has broken out. (laughs) Yeah, if if you're not a fan of snakes, you may not like this. The headline says, Python leads researchers to a big snake sex party with six males and a 15-foot, 115-pound female. Holy guacamole. It's what uh, wildlife experts call a breeding aggregation, uh, a more respectable way of saying snake sex party. This uh, Burmese python nicknamed Argo led researchers to a 15-foot long, 115-pound female python who was surrounded by six randy males, seven including the uh, newly arrived Argo. It's what's being called the largest breeding aggregation ever discovered. This happened near near Naples in southwest Florida. And they didn't kill the pythons either, no. if I read the, picture, the story correctly. The, the picture posted on the story is amazing. <laughs> they, the female is much larger than the males, and they have yes. the males like curled up around the female. It's an unbelievable picture. Oh, my God. In the article, it says, this is not a good thing. These snakes aren't from Florida and aren't supposed to be here, and as a result, have no predators in the wild uh, You know, for their, for their appetites. So they go on multiplying and eating whatever they can, clearing the Florida Everglades of birds and other native wildlife like, you know, um, things they should, probably shouldn't be eating there. Who well, is I don't this know, Danny, fi- maybe... I was going to say this, and then Justin, you can add to that as well. Maybe I'll ask you this question, Coop. Based on his past, Danny G will probably be telling us stories about pythons near Naples kidnapping and eating children in the coming weeks. (laughs) How dare you? Yeah, I was just wondering who it is that's saying that this isn't a good thing. I mean, it, it sounds like some, you know, conservative, stuck up people that may just be against free sex for snakes. It says, we need it to says kill they all these snakes. This, they have no predators. It, like, can we just it, take a flamethrower in the middle of this orgy and finish this off? They all they, you would. It's never. There's never a better way to go. First of all, than being in an orgy. If you ask the pythons, I would suggest they're like, all right, yeah, we've had our fun. You can go ahead and take us out. They said here that they that on Valentine's Day, Argo led them to what is being called the largest breeding aggregation. So, how romantic on Valentine's Day that they all get together <laughs> and, and all hang out. Can you imagine like rolling up following this tracked python to an orgy like you're watching eyes wide shut all of a sudden and you have no idea what to do? One one snake is enough for me. A snake orgy might be enough to send me off. Like I don't know that so, I can handle that at all. So they were they were able to 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 take the female snake out of population though, so it didn't lay the eggs. I mean at least that was uh Yeah. 
Well, we can thank them for small favors oh, on that. Wait, wait, Danny, they were they were euthanized except Argo. He was released. Oh, also uh, oh, all of the yeah, other Jason, snakes were killed. Jason thought okay. they were alive. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's what I get for letting you read the story and me not actually reading through it again <laughs> and trying to remember what I read a few days ago. It's Our final good. minute. LeBron James tonight, Game 3 against the Pacers. We'll probably still be talking about that and Game 4, certainly, which will be Sunday on Monday's show when Clay is back. Here's an amazing stat from last night that also includes LeBron. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons on the floor. The 76ers scored 126.6 points per 100 possessions last month. How good is that? This is according to Tom Haberstroh, by the way. LeBron and Dwayne Wade's best for any month over four years in Miami was 124.6. So Embiid and Simmons already doing something LeBron and Wade never did in Miami. Thanks, Jeff. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out. Clay is back on Monday. Enjoy the games. We'll talk about them on OutKick. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. we got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!